Hello, and welcome to the Shea Hates Everything podcast, where we talk about video games, movies, comics, and other shit that matters. My name is Shay, and today I hate specifically unchecking the opt-in box for a company's promotional emails and still getting promotional emails from them. And my name is Kyle, and today I hate how quickly my break is flying by. My winter break. I definitely hate that as well. My break is a little odd, because, like, I had... Uh, four days off for Christmas, and then I went back to work on Friday, and then I work on Monday, I'm off Tuesday for the first, and then I work Wednesday, Thursday, and then I have a couple days off before my new job, and then I start my new job, so like, my, <laughs> I work intermittently in my break, but I agree with you, it's flying by for sure. Yeah, it, it moves quickly, so which company opt-in box are you getting emails from? Several of them. So I, like, have unsubscribed from their stuff. So, like, I get emails from TGI Fridays. Apparently I signed up for some, some, like, rewards program that I've never used. And I keep getting them because, like, I have two email email inboxes, right? I have my Gmail account, which is my normal professional personal account. And then I have an old AOL account that I've had since, like, junior high that I use for all of my, like, spammy sign-up things. Because I don't care about that email account and it getting cluttered. But I finally went through a couple of weeks ago and was unsubscribing to stuff that I kept seeing. And I'm still getting it. And like a lot of them, they say like, hey, it takes 24 hours to update, whatever. But this has been like a week ago where I've unsubscribed from all emails and I'm still getting them. And that is not can spam compliant. As a professional marketer, they can get blacklisted by email servers for doing this. If they get reported enough. And they should stop it. Especially a huge company like Fridays. There are other ones, but I can't think uh, of the names. But I wouldn't say TGI Fridays is a huge company anymore. They closed like most of their locations. Really? Yeah. I still like that restaurant. Me too. I really I like, like to TGI Fridays. There. They had the really good um, the Jack, Jack Daniels, Daniels chicken. Wings. Oh, hell yeah. Man, Those were like good. the bomb. Yeah, and I, they uh, closed they that like one a, down over by us. They have us. a chicken bruschetta pasta that's also really good. And yeah. Like a, like a, I think like a Cajun shrimp pasta or something, which is really good. They have really good cherry Coke because yes, they use grenadine when they make it. Yep. Ooh, that is as annoying as the email thing is. Actually, my hate of the week is I have decided to give up soda until my child is born. I'm going cold turkey, which I did before I got married. Um, for like two months before I got married, I, I didn't have any soda. Um, well, that's the lie. I probably had like one or two random ones where I would give myself a little gift of soda, but, um, I lost like six pounds in two months just by cutting out soda. And so since I am a piece of garbage and I can't stick to a workout program and I can't stick to eating healthy, I'm just doing whatever I can do to try to help. So I've, I've started, um, walking our dog beamer i take him on like a 15 to 20 minute walk like four or five times a week um just to help him get energy out and that also is helpful for me taking a walk is not the same as working out but it's something and at this point i just need something so cutting out soda is something and it started because we stayed at mom's for christmas break and uh in the guest room bed she has a pillowcase from when we did the Kickstarter for my Dreamwriter show. Right. And on that pillowcase, it has the three of us actors, like, all pointing to where your head goes. And it's, like, a cute little pillowcase. I love the pillowcase. But on there, 
I am much thinner than I am now. <laughs> and so looking at myself, and this was 2014, 15. So it wasn't that long ago. It was 2015. No, it was 2014. So it was four years ago, basically. Four and a half years ago. Damn it. That's a long time ago. But still, <laughs> looking at it made me hate myself. And so I'm laying in bed there. And I was like, Kelly, when we get home, I'm not having another soda until our daughter is born. <laughs> and it makes me very sad. But oh, I need man. to do that. I was all excited. You were joining the club. Of what? The Fat Boys Club. <laughs> I saw no. you sitting there. You had like a little bit of a paunch. I was like, don't. dude, yes. Let's not talk about Here that. Here we go. I don't, don't want to talk about the details. Join me. Of that. Yeah. Let's all feel bad about our bodies together. <laughs> and this isn't this isn't meant to be rude, but when I go out in the world and see a lot of other people, it makes me feel less like a piece of garbage. Because there are a lot of people that are, like, grossly overweight, like, you know, 300-pound people. I'm nowhere near that, but I still don't feel good. Because I used to be in good shape, and I don't like that I'm not. And my, my biggest problem is that I hate exercising, and I, like, forget. I have this, like, like, I'm not choosing not to work out. I legitimately don't think about it. Like, my brain has concocted some sort of mix of chemicals to like make me for magically forget to exercise because <laughs> my body doesn't want to exercise sure so it's like this weird post-traumatic stress disorder where like i can't <laughs> think about it otherwise i'll freak out plus i just eat shit food so i just need to do anything i can at this point and this is step one i'm still gonna ch- attempt to exercise more i'm still gonna attempt to eat healthier i just know that when i've done that in the past i have failed and doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, is the definition of madness. And I don't want to be mad. I'm just mad. Angry mad. So that's where I'm coming from. I got so you. since we, so we already talked about uh, Christmas break, we're talking about break. So I wanted to talk about some Christmas present stuff. And not like, oh, look, look at all the awesome gifts that we got. But things that are appropriate and apply to like the podcast. So, like, I bought my, or no, I didn't buy myself. I got for Christmas a new keyboard for my computer, and it is badass. Let me see if I can remember what it what it's called. It, hold on. Logitech G513 Carbon with Romer G Linear Blue switches. Hell yeah. I don't know what almost any of that means, but I did a lot of research to make sure I asked for the so one I wanted. You should know what it means. Why? Because you did a lot of research. Yes. Yeah, you're right. I know what the I know what the switches do. I don't really remember a lot of the details because it was like in one ear and out, out the other. I just knew I just needed to find the one that I wanted. But the key is key, no pun intended, is this is not as loud as a traditional mechanical keyboard, which is what a lot of people like for gaming and for typing because it makes the really loud clicky-clack sounds. Yeah. I want I want some of that, but I don't want an insane amount just because it annoys me. And especially like, I mean, it's a, it's a weird use case, but thinking about the podcast, if I need to look something up really quickly while we're recording, I don't want like all in the background of what I'm doing. But I want like a little bit of that just because it is that like, tactile feel of the keys when you type but the biggest thing is that it looks dope 
it's got this like carbon fiber base and the keys are all like super fancy and the coolest thing about it which is also why it was expensive is instead of the base being lit and the light goes around the keys each key is individually lit so each key can be a different color and it has like the full Roy G. Biv spectrum of color. And so right now I have it on the setting of cycling. So it like pulses blue and then fades and pulses purple and fades and pulses red and fades. And it looks freaking awesome. And I sent you a little video, Kyle, yesterday when, yeah. once we set it up. The coolest setting, which I won't use all the time because it's too distracting, it's like a ripple effect. So when you touch, like if I hit K the light originates on the K and spreads out to the rest of the keyboard in all different colors. And it just looks so freaking rad. And it makes me feel very nerdy and like a special kind of nerdy where I don't even fully appreciate the kind of keyboard this is because I'm not into PC stuff, but I'm just nerdy enough to know that it's cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I'm like a lame nerd. <laughs> so that was my, uh, my kind of, big exciting gift because this is something that i never would have bought for myself which is what made it a, a perfect christmas gift yeah so what's some of the stuff that you got um so just like a couple like little gamer paraphernalia things i got a fallout 76 shirt from the in-laws and then uh you and uh kelly got me a nuka cola bottle cap clock yeah. which i just uh I, I haven't hung it yet but i put the batteries in it and set the time on it so it is showing the proper time right now mm-hmm. um and then mom got me a two terabyte external drive for my PlayStation 4, which is great because now I definitely don't have to worry about buying a Pro because that's the only right. reason I would have bought a Pro is the more memory. And this is two terabytes. Sure. So I was able Should to go enough. through my entire library and install every game that I have not yet completed. Um, and so those are now all on my PS4 so I can play them at any time without worrying nice. about like... Well, no, I'm not going to play it because then I have to uninstall this and then reinstall it and wait and stuff. So I went ahead and got all that crap out of the way while I was doing other stuff. Is that relatively downloads. easy to hook up? Because I remember I got an external drive on PS3 and it like didn't want to format. And then I just I wasn't smart enough to mess with it. No, I plugged it into the USB and it said, hey, you want to format? I said, yes. It took about 15 seconds and then I used it. Hmm. Do you have to like do you have to move? files to it or it just uses that as your uh, save yeah it uses whatever. that as like the new destination folder huh. essentially the new destination device so all of the things that i installed and downloaded since i hooked it up went straight there first yeah that is easy yeah uh it is annoying though because it takes up one of the two usb ports on my playstation 4 so uh if i wanted to use a headset my the headset that I have is a Triton, so it uses USB for voice chat. Um, it's optical for sound, but in order for me to talk, it's voice chat with USB. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would not be able to charge my controller, have the hard drive plugged in, and be using voice chat at the same time since there's only two USB ports. Mm. So um, I don't know. I, I have Karen and I have all sorts of like. AC or uh, like wall adapters with USB ports in them from like Apple and other third party like cell phone charger things. So yeah, I could just like plug it into a power strip and charge a controller. I don't know. Yeah, I just wish the PlayStation Four had more than two fucking USB ports. Yeah, I guess. It yeah, 
if you think about like the things that are Sony branded, you wouldn't really ever need more than two. Because like I, I, the only things that I've ever had plugged in at the same time were my controller and a headset. So like I wouldn't ever need anything else, any right? More than two. But like if you ever need to charge two controllers, or if you're playing like a three or four player game and you have to charge a third or fourth controller, you have to buy one of their docks, I guess. Right. Right. Exactly. But yeah. So what else? Um, Kara got me an iPad. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Christmas, and then um, her mother and father got me the i the Apple Pencil for the iPad mm-hmm. and a case for it. Um, then I bought myself a keyboard, um, so I got the whole shebang now, which is good because I have D and D tomorrow. We're recording this on a Saturday, so I have D and D tomorrow on Sunday. So I'm gonna be able to use it to dungeon yeah, master cool. my way through the day. So I know when we were together at Mom's, you were primarily using it for your D&D stuff and also sketches for the theater shows. Right. So you were doing that just in, note- in notebooks, right? Um, yes, yeah. So my theater yeah. sketches, I have a, a large like leather notebook that I have all my set design sketches in. Um, I don't know if I'm going to switch over to doing that for the iPad with the iPad or not, I just, I'm more comfortable with a physical pencil and I wouldn't, sometimes I like sketch during my breaks at work and I don't want to like bring my iPad to work every day. Mm. Um, I don't know. Mm. We'll see. Well, at least with the D and D stuff that I think it's going to be much easier to keep track of everything. Yeah. On a digital platform than in a right. notebook. Because I had that cheap Chromebook that I bought from work, but right. it like yeah. ran like a snail. <clears throat> so I just threw it out. I bought it for twenty five dollars. Uh so I threw <laughs> Not it out. Not even worth keeping around. No. It's just taking up space. Um so I tossed that. Uh what else did you get? Um so I got some Star Wars comics, which I'm very excited to read. I got um trades two and three of Doctor Afra. And then I got the first three trades of the uh, Darth Vader Lord of the Sith, which I actually haven't checked. I need to double check and make sure that I have all of the first Darth Vader arc okay. comics. There are Because then Lord of the Sith starts after that. Um, right. So I just want to make sure I have everything. But if I don't, that's fine. I'll just buy the, the Darth Vader one I'm missing because uh, I definitely want to read all of those. So, yeah, I'm really excited to, to read those. I, I really enjoyed the first um, Dr. Aphra trade. So, um that, that series just has a lot of really good characters, so I'm excited to keep reading it. Yeah. And then pretty much everything else were video game stuff. I mean, of the things that are relevant to the podcast. So uh, you guys got me Pokemon Let's Go, Eevee, which I wanted to get Eevee because you have Pikachu so that we can trade. Right. Um, so I'll be, I, I've been playing that. We'll, we'll talk about that. And then uh, I also got Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze on Switch from dad which was surprising because dad hates video games correct (laughs) but uh yeah i obviously had heard really good things about that game on the wii u and then when it came to switch i knew i wanted to play it just because it was a lot of uh, a lot of old games from wii u that got ported over that are worth playing that's one of those where because i'm doing this you know last minute 
her last like month scramble of to play as many games, 2018 games as I can. Donkey Kong probably won't make the cut for like my 2018 games, but this will be a really good one to load back up, especially after my daughter is born because it's on a mobile platform. So it'll be much easier to play when I have little bits of time. So I'm going to save, I'm going to save that one for a little later in the year. And then, um, I still had my like $170 PlayStation network credit from trading in my PS4 and a controller and and a bunch of games. So there was a big PlayStation network sale. So I actually went and bought myself a bunch of stuff, a lot of 2018 games to make it even harder on myself. (laughs) So I bought a minute moonlighter and shape of the world, which are all three games that I heard really good things about. Yeah. And, um, just because they were really cheap, I went and also bought a drift from a couple years ago because it was like five bucks. And I, I was really curious about that game as well as a game called Expand, which is like a little liney, boxy puzzle game that just looked really awesome. And it was like two dollars. So okay. I was like, yeah, sure. Give me that. Why not? Uh, and then um, Gris was on sale on the Nintendo Switch eShop. So I bought that. And then in the Steam Winter Sale, Binner Saga 3 was on sale, which I knew I wanted to play. So I went ahead and bought that too. So bought a bunch of games for myself. <laughs> yeah. I was actually going to – there were a lot of other games on the PlayStation Network store that I was going to buy that were older non-2018 games that were all like 10 bucks, 6 bucks, And there were like three or four of them um, that were – I should say they were 2018 games. But they were games that like I didn't – I hadn't ever heard of. And I would watch a trailer and I'm like, that looks kind of okay. But at the end of the day, I was going to end up spending like $36 on four games I barely knew anything about. And I was only going to get them because I wanted to have played more 2018 games. Right. Not even because I thought I was really going to like them, if that makes sense. And that was a really stupid way to look at it. So I did not buy <laughs> those games. So only got games that I actually want to play. Uh, yeah. So I know you you also bought some games. Um, yeah, so my friends and I kind of have a tradition every year where uh, it's just three of them, um, guys I graduated high school with, we buy each other a game off of each other's wish lists. So uh, I got Morrowind, um, Tooth and Tail, which is like a turn-based, um, sort of like Redwall, like mice and rats and ferrets and stuff, but it's like a yeah. turn-based tactical um, kind of RTS game. Um, Batman, uh, Telltale Batman, uh, the Enemy Within, so the second season of that, which okay. I played the first season and really liked it. Um, and then Vanquish on PC, which I've not played. Vanquish, Vanquish is very in a good. very long time. I think I played it when it originally came out on like PS3, um, but I haven't played it since then. I remember it being a lot of fun. Um, and then I got Vanquish is uh, a game. So a while ago, I wrote a blog post about the 20 most underappreciated games from the previous generation. Vanquish is on that list. All right. So if you want to read it, go to shadeseverything.com because there are other games like Vanquish that people should play that were not super successful. Okay. Um, And then the games I bought them were Vermintide 2 for one of them because I was like, hey, I can play that with you if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, Moonlighter which I'll talk about later, and then Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age, which I will also talk about later. Um, and then I bought myself stuff, because why not? I bought myself Parkitect, which came out this month, I believe. Um, it's just like a park sim. Um, okay. And then Far Cry 5, uh, because I played it on PS4, and my big issue with it was that the controls didn't feel good, like I was missing mm. a lot of shots, and the guns just didn't feel great. 
So I got on PC to see if that's any better, um, mm-hmm. and it was really cheap. I got Dead Effect 2 VR because I heard that's a really good VR game, and then Dishonored, Death of the Outsider, because I beat Dishonored 2, so I feel like I may as well just like complete <laughs> the package and have beaten right. all of Dishonored. Because um, they've kind of come out and said, hey, the series is on ice, so this will be the last Dishonored thing you'll get for quite a while, or ever. Or ever, possibly, yeah. And then... The most important thing that I got this Christmas um, right. is a big deal to me. I've wanted it for a very long time. I've never taken it upon myself to purchase it. Um, I got Leon Kennedy's bomber jacket from Resident Evil 4. <laughs> and it's fucking awesome. It's pretty dope. It's, it's a very cool really jacket. really cool. Even taken out of the context of Resident Evil 4, it's, it's just still a, a really cool, cool like sort of suede leather furry kind of jacket right just like it's a cool bomber jacket style yeah like old school bomber jacket style right and so it's got like some of like the white fur stuff coming out the uh bottoms of the sleeves and you know Mm -hmm. the whole the high collar and stuff from that style jacket it's a cool jacket (laughs) it is it's very cool (laughs) i ran around mom's house looking like an idiot after i opened it well, all right, we've got a lot of stuff to dive into as far as what we've been playing and watching, but I do want to give one final update on something much more important than Christmas, and that is I won our Fantasy Football League. Congratulations. <laughs> so in our home league that my wife is in, my dad, my brother-in-law, father-in-law, a bunch of their family, some friends and stuff, 10 teams. I the first year of the league was 2015. I won it in 2015, finished fourth in 2016 because I got really unlucky and a bunch of my guys got hurt right at the end of the year. I won it last year and I won it this year. So I've won three out of four years, just dominating all these sad sack fools <laughs> that think they know fantasy football. And to make it all the more sweeter, the person I beat in the championship was my wife. <laughs> so she joined the league last year. It was her first year ever playing fantasy football. She couldn't even name all 32 teams. She probably still can't. But because she's so competitive and intelligent, she made the playoffs last year, got knocked out in the first game, but still, that was pretty good for her. And then this year, she had one of the best teams, and then in the back half of the year, she was the number one ranked team, and I was the number three, even though I would scored the most points. So we like we were on opposite sides of the um, uh, what's it called the brackets. So we we could have faced each other in the championship, and that's obviously what we were rooting for because the way the payouts went, fifty percent of the payout went to the first place, twenty five percent went to second place, and twenty five percent went to top scoring team. And unless she were to like crazy outscore me during the playoffs, I was going to take home the top scoring. So if we could both face each other in the championship, that would mean we would get the entire All the money. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. I got first place and top scoring. She got second place. So we got all that cash money and we got in a fight about how to spend it because I wanted to like, like, I'm like, Hey, I got X amount of dollars. You got Y amount of dollars. We get to spend that on stuff for ourselves. And I would kept making a joke that I wanted to buy an Xbox. I wasn't actually because it's not worth it. But, like, I want to buy something for myself with this money that I won due to my superior skill. <laughs> and she was like, no, we need to save it. We need to buy stuff for the baby. We need to do this kind of crap. And I'm like, 
no, <laughs> I'm going to buy something for myself. So we got in a fight about that. But we eventually kind of worked. Her, her thing was she didn't want me to buy a bunch of frivolous stuff, like an Xbox. So we talked about it, and there's some stuff from our Christmas lists that we didn't get that we want. So I think we're going to buy those. Like, there are a couple pieces of clothing that I want. She wanted a new band for her watch. Um, so I think we're going to buy that kind of stuff and save a little bit of it for baby crap. But that's why we're having a baby shower. We sh- we aren't supposed to buy anything for our child. That's how it's supposed to work, right? Yeah. I've never been a parent before. Right. No, parents <laughs> don't spend money on their children. <laughs> so, yeah. I was really pumped that I won. Really. And it was a close-ass matchup, too, dude. Like, going in, it was the Sunday night game. She had two of her best players. I had my kicker. Like, so, like, your stud players could score, like, between 20 and 30 points would be a really good game. Your kicker could score, like, six. So, the kicker does not score very many points. So, she had two of her best players. So, she could get, like, 60 points from these guys. I had my kicker. And I was ahead by 30 points. So I was not confident whatsoever. I ended up winning by like two points. It was really, and like right to the end of the game, I was just crossing my fingers that they didn't pass it to this guy or this guy because it was on her team. And in fact, like the team, it was the, the Kansas City Chiefs that her players and my kicker were on. They marched down the field and I was like, if they score, it's probably going to go to one of her two players and that will take her over the top. Like, if they score, she's going to beat me. But instead, they kicked a field goal, so I got points for my kicker. And that ended up being the decision maker, that last drive of the game. So, really fun. Obviously, we're both hyper-competitive, very stubborn, passionate people. And so, we were not all that nice to each other leading up to the matchup. And she was just, like, on edge the whole time. And I had honestly not, like, given up, but I was like, I don't think I'm going to win. I legitimately don't think I'm going to win. So, I've kind of accepted that. And I'll be bummed, but it is what it is. But then when I did win, I think I was relatively gracious. Far more gracious than I usually am when I beat her at things. But now she's taken it. She's not going to listen to the podcast anyway, so I can say whatever I want. So, fantasy football's over. I'm bummed. But now I can just watch football and enjoy it versus being stressed every Sunday about my fantasy football scores. So, what do you say we jump into some video games? Sure. So, how about you tell me what you've been playing, man? Um, So, I haven't had a lot of time to play anything because family keeps getting in the way. Shay. We are just the worst. You are the worst. Yeah. Um, so, but I got my Animal Crossing time in almost every day, which is okay. very important. <laughs> Stick to the routine. Mm-hmm. Um, I did play Mutant Year Zero. I know I uh, last episode I had purchased it, but had not played it yet, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Suffice it to say, I am thoroughly enjoying it, and I think mm-hmm. I am very close to the end because um, cool. my guys are pretty high level. And I've explored most of the map. Um, uh, I just got Parkitect and I played it last night uh, for a little bit. Um, it has like a, a really fun kind of like a saturated art style with like a lot of like smooth edges and like fat little trees and like your guests have like big heads and small bodies and it's just like mm-hmm. a fun art style. Mm-hmm. Um, the controls take a lot of getting used to. Um, there's not as much freedom in the camera rotation as I would like. So your, uh, I don't know if it's pitch or yaw, um, but like your, 
uh, the angle at which you are viewing things. Like, so you have, like, top down, and you can kind of rotate the camera down to see, like, a little bit into buildings and stuff. Yep. Um, so you're a little more horizontal. You never really get as far down as you would like. Like, okay. I, I can never get as far horizontally as I would really like to, to be able to look into stuff. But there are all sorts of, like, hide these different types of elements um, on the screen. So, like, because the, the big thing, uh, a big component of building your parks is, uh, like, customer immersion or satisfaction. I, I guess probably, like, immersion. So, uh, there's, like, a decoration viewing screen where... Uh, you have there are items that are considered like decorative or like pleasing to the eye and items that are not items that are not are like employee paths like behind buildings because in order to like have like a burger stand or a drink stand you have to have like a supply path to it so one of your haulers can like deliver the materials for it so people can buy stuff um but if they like see the path behind it it kind of like breaks their immersion in the park, and so they're mm. less satisfied. So you kind of have to hide that stuff. And there's a screen to look at like what areas, what elements are most affecting customers, and then the areas in which customers are seeing those things. So you can kind of block line a site uh, by looking at that mapping, um, like put fences up or put a couple trees in the way, that kind of stuff. Um, so that's an interesting little twist on it like you can't just make the park how you want to make it look you have to like consider what are the park goers going to be seeing from all these different angles and kind of accommodate for that like mm -hmm. one of them was up on this coaster that i built they could see like a lot of the pathways and stuff and that was kind of like hurting some of their experience on the coaster because they're okay. seeing all these like behind the scenes stuff so i built like um, like a roof over a path uh, right. and like made the roof look nice and colored it and put some different elements on it, like decorative elements. And so now that isn't a problem anymore. Stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. Which also means you wind up spending a lot of your money on that stuff. And mm -hmm. I th the budget is something I haven't really gotten a handle on. I've only played the first two levels so far because um, there's kind of a campaign where you have like objectives and they kind of throw you into this area and you can learn how to, it's kind of a tutorial, um, and it gets more advanced as you go, which is a way of teaching you how to play the game. Um, but there's also a mode where you start with a blank park and can build whatever right. you want. Um, but I'm just going through the campaign now to kind of learn how all these systems work. But um, it, it, it's you kind of get feature creep a lot. Like I get like really focused on building this thing, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh my like ride is broken and i don't have enough mechanics shit um mm -hmm. and i've just been like burning through money like crazy and like there's a whole like research new rides like mechanic to it and you're managing like how many employees you have so like uh like and also like cost at the gate to get into the park cost per ride all this stuff you're kind of like balancing and the way you're like determining if your park is fairly priced or your rides are fairly priced or like the lines are too long um is uh you can like click on a ride or your entrance to the park and like do a speech bubble and then it'll show the last several customer like reactions to the ride yep. like hey that was great or the ride or the line was too long or this was very fairly priced or is a great deal or not a great deal i'm not paying that much for it stuff like that that kind of give you a clue as to how you should adjust things um it's fun so far it seems like there's a really wide variety of rides for you to choose from 
and then there's like a buttload of decorative elements um, for you to do. And there's a really smart um, painting system as well um, where you kind of pick four colors and then that's like a little paint swatch that you can just click on and then click yeah. on a bunch of stuff and then change okay. the colors. Yeah, so cool. instead of having the whole smart. wheel up all the time, you get kind of right. a little mini menu. Uh, some smart stuff, but the, the controls do take a lot of getting used to. Uh, there's a lot of like shortcut uh, keys. Um, mm. And yeah, the, the camera just doesn't move quite like I think it should. Mm-hmm. But I'm getting used to it. Um, and then on my new iPad, I got Kingdom Rush, which is just like an old tower defense game. Um, it's like the tower defense game that people talk about when you bring up the genre. Um, it was kind of like the original good one. Um, just a fun art style. There are newer tower, uh, Kingdom Rush games, but I just got the original one cause it was free. Okay. Um, are there like microtransactions? Uh, yeah, there's like you can buy like gems or whatever, and you use the gems right. to buy item like one use items in the levels. But you also earn the gems through just playing the levels. So you could like farm a couple of easy levels and have enough gems to buy an item to help you in a later level, stuff like that. I haven't had to use those yet. Um, each level has like the normal version, and then there's a version where you can only build towers to a certain level or um, uh, and the waves are harder. And then there's a third level where uh you can't build certain towers um so it kind of restricts your choices there and you have to really think about what you're doing um and then uh, so you have three you have five stars essentially that you can earn from each level three for beating it without losing too much health or letting Mm -hmm. too many enemies through um one for beating it on that second difficulty and one for beating it on that third so each level you can get five and then there's a skill tree that improves your towers that you can pump those points into those stars um which then makes so like you get further playing the normal levels then you can go back and play the harder versions because your towers are a little better now and get a little more stars to Mm -hmm. bump you up so you can go further playing the normal levels and then go back and go further and it's balanced pretty well uh it feels like so uh kingdom rush good time the new hotness yes the new old hotness <laughs> the new release everyone's talking about the close 2018 kingdom yeah. rush on ipad it was funny though because i downloaded it, i downloaded it at first and then i played it and it was like this tiny screen and it was surrounded by black i was like what the hell is this so i went back to the app store there's an hd version that you're supposed to buy for ipad uh. like for ipad so yeah. I, I downloaded the iPhone version on accident, and it was like this <laughs> tiny nice. little screen on my iPad. I was like, why do I even have an iPad? Um, well, now you know you can go get it on your iPhone, too. That's true. Um, cross-save, cross-play compatibility? Probably not. Probably not, yeah. So what about you? Uh, so I've been playing a lot of stuff. In case uh, people haven't noticed, I'm getting stressed to play a bunch of games at the end of the year because I didn't play enough earlier on. So I'm trying to race through as many things as I can. The first thing I'll mention is I played some more Fallout 76, just like another two hours, like a one session. I think I might be done playing Fallout 76, Aww. unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I might hop back on, like, if you're going to play and we can play together. But in terms of, like, actu- it being one of my games in rotation, I've just kind of figured out that I'm not really having fun with it. So I ke- I keep having this where I run across random enemies in the wilderness that are like crazy higher level than me. So I'm like level 12 or 13 and I keep like, I'll come across a huge group of level 12 Myrlurks where there are like five of them 
plus a level 35 legendary Mirelurk, which I like can't beat because he kills me in two hits. And then I'll go to another area. There's like this little campsite place where I came across a couple of rad scorpions that were already really hard to fight and took up a ton of ammo. Like all of my guns broke in the process of killing them. And then when I went back to that campsite to actually try to loot it, which is the whole point, oh, there's a level 35 legendary rad scorpion there too that kills me in two hits so i'm like i don't know what's happening i'm not in an area that is over leveled for me because i'm following the quests that i'm currently on it's just maybe i'm just getting unlucky with the spawns or something but that's not fun and not something that i've ever had happen in a follow-up game like this where you randomly come across way over leveled dudes out in the wild like that um i also so i know you talked about that kind of penitentiary quest. Yeah. That's like this old castle. So I went and did that. And it was actually an awesome, awesome thing that happened. Because I came up across it, and there were two vertebrates that were attacking it. Oh. Like Brotherhood vertebrates that were obviously AI-controlled. And there was some kind of drone that was shooting it. So, like, the super mutants are all fighting those guys. And I was trying to sneak in, like, behind them and try to take some out, some of the super mutants out. And then I got attacked by, like, a wandering... Uh, group of Myrlurks. They were just like, they were just walking in a straight line, like four of them just walking in a circle. And I guess they found me and came and attacked me. So I'm like backpedaling and fighting those guys off. And I finally wiped them out. And then I go back to trying to sneak into the penitentiary. I get embroiled in this huge battle. One of the vertebrates gets shot down and explodes like right in front of me. It was all really badass stuff. So I take out all the, all the super mutants in the, um, courtyard area and i'm exploring picking up some ammo and stuff and i'm over there's like a little basketball court in the corner i go over to loot uh, a super mutant there and then all of a sudden i turn around and there were like 15 super mutants right there and what happened was all of the enemies that i just killed all respawned oh geez and so i died because like i was like trapped in a corner i couldn't move and there were literally 15 if not more super mutants all shooting at me at once where i have no cover so i just died and I was like, okay, why did that happen? And I don't really care about the reason why it happened. Because I, I posted in uh, the Giant Bomb Facebook group about it. And somebody was like, hey, this is probably because like someone else, like another player, entered that area for that quest. And so they had to respawn them because otherwise those enemies wouldn't be there. And that ruins the quest. And I'm like, okay, I guess that makes technical sense. But that doesn't sound fun either like i don't care why it happened that at the end of the day like that's not fun to kill a bunch of enemies and then they all respawn on top of you so that's when i was just kind of like you know what i think i might be done with this and i'm just i got sick of having to move my camp and every time you move your camp you have to rebuild everything which doesn't cost anything but it's still tedious to go through the menu like if you move your camp, it should place it the way that it was before. I feel like that would be maybe they can't design that. Well, but no, that's that's, how it that's the work. blueprint system. Have you been using that? No, okay. I thought the blueprints were for the items, right? No, so you can blueprint your entire camp. Um, I've just I've heard you don't want to do it with the um, and maybe they fixed it since I played, but you don't want to do it with the like floor. So you, you will, like, rebuild okay. the floor each time, but then you blueprint everything that's on top of that, like all the items, and then mm-hmm. you can just, like, basically snap it onto the floor once you build it in a, new, in a new location. So where's the tutorial on the blueprint system? I don't know, man. Exactly. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. So I, it's just... It's, it's a really smart system if you can use it. 
Yeah. If you know it's there. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's still tedious. And the reason I have to keep doing it is because I'm constantly over encumbered because everything weighs a shit ton. I'm constant. My guns are constantly breaking because all my weapons are too weak. But even upgrading them, I'm still barely doing any damage and I'm not finding any stuff that's better. It's just like I'm stuck in this loop of being underpowered. Plus it's buggy. Plus these spawn things and the random enemies, like nothing about it. I'm not, I'm not having fun with anything about it except for the random like notes and the audio diaries and stuff. Like that's the only thing that I was enjoying. Like I did a little ambient quest that I found when I was out wandering and it was like a reenactment of this like civil war thing. Yeah. Where like it's the union against the, the whatever the other ones. The Confederates, and you're like storming this wooden base, right? And that was really fun. Like I enjoyed doing that. And you get those and cool got outfits. There. Yeah, and I so I got there and I beat them all, and I'm kind of looting around the place. And then I keep hearing that like beep sound that um, when those enemies that have the codes for the nuclear codes, oh, there's like a beep sound that happens. And I couldn't find where it was. And then come to find out, it was a scorched. Those the enemies? Yeah. There was a Scorched that was stuck inside of a mountain that I couldn't kill because she was stuck in there. But she could sure shoot me, and so I just had to, like, leave. I'm like, again, like, this fun quest that happens, and then something happens to completely undermine and ruin that experience because of a bug. So I'm just, I'm really frustrated with that game. I still think there's a lot more to it than a lot of people do. I don't, like, hate the game. I've just, after now putting in probably 20 hours... I'm just not having any more fun, unfortunately. But, hey, if you want to play, I'll still play with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I just keep – I'm, like, trying to play all the other stuff since I've already yeah. played some of it. But yeah. I, I do really want to get back into it. Yeah. Um, so I also put a little more time into Smash. So I haven't started the World of Light mode. I just played a couple more of the kind of random matches. Um just to make sure I'm not like forgetting the controls, I'm trying to like keep the con- keep my controller skills up. So I will dive into the World of Light mode, maybe in the next two weeks, just because I have so much other stuff to play. But I want to see what it is because um, I've heard really awesome things about all of the nods to old Nintendo stuff. So uh, I'm curious to see what that looks like. Still grinding away at Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Still a solid game. But there's too much of it. So yep. I've gotten deeper into the mercenaries part. They are a huge pain in the ass. They're fun fights because they're all like mini bosses, basically. Like they have it's like the Nemesis system from Shadow of Mordor, where they all have unique weaknesses or strengths, and you kinda have to, you know, figure out your tactics based on those. And they all have different weapon types. Some of them have shields, some of them are huge hulking guys with a big spear, that kind of thing. One of the guys I fought had a wolf with him. Like a wolf companion kind of thing and like that part of it's fun the issue is once you get a bounty on you they know exactly where you are like the area that you're in Uh and so you can hide from them but like if i don't want to fight so like one of them i i assassinated a dude for a quest and i got caught and so i had like five bounty things five bounty levels on me so there were three mercenaries coming after me at once, which is too much to try to fight because these are di- very difficult enemies. But I had to go talk to someone for a quest to wrap that up. But because they knew where I was, they kept going to that area so I couldn't talk to the person. 
because if I went out into the world, like in just standing there, they would know I was there and they would attack me. So I couldn't talk to the person. So I had to like run away, get them to chase me, hide. And then when they weren't looking, just bolt and go back to talk to the person that I needed to talk to. So it's like, it's just kind of annoying that there's no good way to get rid of them short of paying off your bounty money to make them not chase you. Or you can kill the person that put the bounty out on you. And it's just like, I don't want to have to deal with that all the time. Right. I want to be able to run away and hide from these guys, but you can't. Like, they, it's the AI. Like, even if I'm hiding in a bush, they just, like, will walk in a circle around that bush. Like, they know exactly where I am. They just, quote, unquote, can't see me yet. And that it's a pain in the ass. That's pretty dumb. Yeah, it's very dumb, and I don't know why they would do it that way. Because it's not that fun. Like, let me and let them chase me. Sure, let me engage with them if I want to. Sure, but like, it worked fine in Assassin's Creed Origins. The Phylakes guys that would chase you down, they knew the general. Like, if you were in a town, they knew you were in the town. But that's it. They would just like wander around and try to find you. With right. these, like, they are constantly within twenty feet of you unless you kill them or pay off your bounty. Yeah, and that that's is not stupid. fun. Um, there are also an insane amount of radiant quests that you get from like the message boards and randomly talking to people where, because so many of them are relatively forgettable, like I'll just go up to the message board and accept all the quests. Cause some of them I might complete and not even know it. Cause it'll be like, Hey, sink five ships. And that's like one of the quests. And like, yeah, I might do that as I'm randomly exploring and then I get the reward. So I might as well accept all of them. Is there a limit because to the of number that, you can have accepted at once? No, I mean, not, th- not that I've come across. Oh, geez. It, it's not like 100. I'm not talking crazy, but like 12 to 15 Radiant Quests I'll have. Man. And so it just makes them feel a lot less special. Right. And then I also get lost a little bit where the actual side quests are versus what are the forgettable Radiant Quests. And some of that's on me because of I'm literally just going in and like, yes, accept all. I'm not even going to read these anymore. But that there's just kind of like so many of them that one session... I just got in a loop of doing all these radiant quests because they were all like close to each other. And I just went and did like five or six of them over the course of an hour and a half. And I was like, wait, I just did all these radiant quests that give you very minimal rewards. I didn't really accomplish anything in this play session. So I'm going to try to steer away from that a little bit. And then the final complaint, I'm realizing this is a lot of complaining about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I still really like the game. I'm having a lot of fun with it. But these are new issues I've had since the last time we talked about it. The load times are bonkers. Like, they're the worst load times I can remember in an Assassin's Creed game. One, it always takes a long time to load up from the main menu. That's understandable because it's this huge open world game. But, like, loading into any little talky cutscene, like where you go to talk to a quest giver, can take, like, 30-second load to talk to that wow. person. Plus, I'm coming across loads that are in the open world. Where I'm like just running or riding my horse and then it freezes for like 15 seconds while it loads. Like, and I, I remember coming across that occasionally in Destiny. That would happen sometimes. Right. But like, I can't think of very many other open world games where that happens. And this happens fairly regularly, at least once or twice every time I play the game. I'll like hit a load wall as I'm just randomly exploring. And I feel like that it really kills the immersion. Especially in a game where you are literally playing a character who is in virtual reality in another universe. Like, it it takes you out of it like three levels in a row. So that's been kind of annoying. Yeah. 
But I still really like it. I guess it just must be some sort of a data streaming problem. Just too much yeah, crap to load in. And it's a huge game. I yeah. still have barely touched the surface on the different places to explore. Um, so here's a positive. So I came across... Oh, shit. I don't remember her name. But uh, it's a. it looks like it's like a long quest that I'll be on the entire time I'm playing the game where I'm hunting down legendary creatures. Artemis. I think it was Artemis is her name. Uh, she's like a, she's a demigod, as is your character. Okay. She's also kind of sexy. But uh, um, the, I got to fight this, like, giant boar that had a bunch of, like, regular boar babies. And it was just a cool boss battle with this huge freaking boar. And there are a lot of other ones where, like, oh, it's a special lion or a jaguar, this deer that's aggressive. So, and they're all, like, leveled. Some of them are, like, level in the level 30s and stuff like that. But So I'll be doing those as I progress in the game. And I got a really cool bow from doing this first one, so I want to keep doing them. But that's, like, an example of, hey, this is a good side quest with a really cool character that has a fun personality that is really fun to flirt with, with <laughs> Cassandra. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play some more of that today, actually. I started Pokemon Let's Go. And complained the whole time. I don't... I just don't get it. I don't get it. I know... No, it's that's not true. I do get it. I just think it's bad. So, like, they made this game for young people. People who Pokemon played Go Pokemon fans. Go yes. in an effort to convert them into console or handheld Pokemon players. 100%. My issue is Pokemon Go is a bad video game. Yes. If you like Pokemon, if you like the exploration, getting together with some buddies and going and doing a raid and catching your CP 3500 level Moltres, great. But the mechanics of it as a video game are shitty. It's a bad video game. I feel like objectively it's a bad video game. So why would you put those mechanics in a core video game that you don't have the same limitations like as playing on a phone? You have an actual console now. <sighs> All of this to say, catching Pokemon sucks ass in this game. I hate it. It's completely random. So like when for people that don't or aren't aware, when you catch Pokemon, there is I mean it's like sort of motion controlled ish. You have to aim the Pokeball, and then you throw it, and there is either a green, yellow, orange, or red circle that is on the Pokemon that expands and contracts. And you want to throw it at the perfect time to get a great or an excellent rating. Also, the Pokemon will do stuff like jump or like swipe that is timed that will knock away or make your Pokeball miss. So you kind of have these two mechanics happening at the same time to catch the Pokemon. And if you're thinking that sounds kind of interesting and maybe would keep it from getting repetitive, you're fucking wrong <laughs> because for one, getting a great or an excellent rating on your throw literally means nothing. If the Pokemon has a green circle or a red circle, you get an excellent on a green or you completely whiff on a red. It doesn't matter. Well, I it's a coin flip whether or not you catch the Pokemon. I think it has to do with how much XP you get when catching a Pokemon. Like if that catch succeeds, it's how much XP you get from the catch. But the the color is has a direct relation to how difficult the Pokemon is to catch. Right. There's a tooltip that says this. My point is it doesn't matter. 
it is completely random. And I don't know if it's 50-50 or if it seems like it's more like 30% chance to catch, 70% chance to not catch with literally every Pokemon. On my fifth fucking Caterpie, it takes six Pokeballs to catch it, even though I'm doing it exactly right every single time. It is so frustrating. Nothing about it is fun. Nothing about that system is fun. It is completely random. There is no skill, literally no skill involved. You throw berries to like get them to stick around, and that has had zero influence. You have different quality of Pokeballs, Pokeballs, Great Balls, etc., Premier Balls. I'm still early in the game. I'm right before uh, Mount Moon, I think it is, after Pewter City. And in my experience, those have... I have missed three times in a row on a level five Pidgey with three great balls. Like it doesn't matter what berries you use, what Pokeballs you use, when you throw it, where in the circle you hit it. It doesn't matter. It's totally random if you catch the Pokemon. All of that would be less, it would still be terrible, but it would be less of a problem if it weren't for the fact that catching Pokemon is how you level up your Pokemon. You, they level up through battle, sure, but the primary, like, you can't grind by defeating random wild Pokemon. There's no Pokemon battles with wild Pokemon. You only catch them. And so you have to catch a bunch of them, and ideally, a bunch of the same Pokemon in a row, because you get XP gains based upon that. Right. And so that, again, isn't fun, because then I'm in a, a big thing of bushes... Where, oh, I caught three Ekans in a row, so now I'm just going to fucking sit here and wait for more Ekans to spawn so I can go through this arbitrary, unfun, luck-based Pokemon catching thing so I can level up my guys enough to go fight Brock. I just don't get it. I, like, I don't understand because it is so unfun. And everything else about the game is awesome. All of the stuff that is the same as the old Pokemon games is super fun. The animations for the battles are great. The po- the game looks beautiful. Like, it's not, like, super high res, but it's very cutesy and colorful, and I love the designs of all the Pokemon. All the music is fantastic. Running around in this, like, faux 3D version of this of one of my favorite games of all time is just an amazing, nostalgic experience. But catching Pokemon is so unbelievably unfun and it's the thing you do the most in the game and it really pisses me off because this should have been so easy to nail and my thing is like and we talked about this a little bit kyle if you want to make people catch pokemon to get xp and make them do the stupid damn catching mechanics and make make people buy your little pokemon ball controller fine but if someone doesn't want to engage with that, like if someone doesn't want to sit there and catch 20 Pidgeys in a row and then just release them to the professor, add more trainers. Add a bunch of optional trainers. That if I want to play this game like a traditional Pokemon game and raise my dudes via battle, which is the whole point of Pokemon is the battling, add like five times as many Pokemon trainers make like have a like building in each city where you, it's an optional thing where you can go and you can fight like 30 trainers in there. And that can be how you raise your guys so that you don't have to go catch a bunch of the same Pokemon. Cause why would you like, it's just not fun. I don't know how anyone literally, I don't know how anyone might think that catching mechanic is fun. I do not get how someone would say that. It just frustrates me, dude, because I love Pokemon so much. 
And because I'm talking to you who bought me this, I don't want it to feel like, oh, I am angry that you bought me this. I want to play it. Like, I wanted to play it. I wanted to see it. I still love, like I said, all the other stuff about it. I'm still going to play the whole thing. It's not like this is going to stop me. It just, this could be like, my this could be my favorite game of 2018. And instead, it's easily my most disappointing game of 2018 because of the catching Pokemon. So frustrating. We apparently have that new core Pokemon game coming this next year. Yes. So they say. And, and, and if, if it looks and plays like this one, but the catching is back to normal and the battling is back to normal, hell yeah. It will be game of the year. <laughs> but... If they still try to shoehorn some of these Pokemon Go mechanics in it, I will not buy it. I'm glad I'm playing this because there's also the nostalgia factor. But if this was a brand new Pokemon game with brand new Pokemon, new settings, everything, yeah, where I'm yeah, not yeah. already invested, I would not. I would have zero interest. Yeah, I mean, the only reason I'm still playing this is because it's core Pokemon still. And I, I'm, I love having Eevee fucking ride around on my head. It's adorable. And you, you can dress him up. Me off. You can dress well, Evie up. I know he's got. He's wearing. The, we're wearing the same hat. We're wearing matching hats right now, <laughs> and it's awesome. <laughs> Finally, the new hotness started playing Guacamelee Two. So okay. the first game, I think, is one of the more underrated games from the last generation. It was one of my favorite games in 2013 when it came out been really highly looking forward to this. I didn't think we'd ever get a sequel. Obviously, it took me way too long to actually dive into this because I've been playing so many other things. But it's fantastic. If you like the first game, you're going to love this one. It looks beautiful. They're really taking advantage of the more horsepower on the PlayStation 4 versus the PlayStation 3. Everything's super fluid. It has the same Metroidvania sort of mechanics where you'll come across a lot of colored blocks that you can't get through until you get a super move. I feel like they're doling out the super moves quicker this time around, so it's not as tedious and backtracking. Um, in the first game, it was very difficult, right? So it was this com- it's combo action platformer with pretty difficult combat and then really difficult platforming sequences where you had to use your special moves. And then the boss battles were like Mega Man style boss battles. They were like super, super hard. Right. To the point where like it felt kind of frustrating by the end. Like by the end of the game, as much as I loved it, I was glad I was done with it because it was so such a frustrating game to play. I feel like this this game, I've done three boss battles thus far. I've beat all of them on my first try. So I don't know if that just means that the second time around I'm yet even more comfortable with everything or if they are in fact easier i would think they're probably easier the boss battles are but the platforming is much more difficult in this game than it was in the first one the combat's about the same because you use a lot of the same moves but the platforming there are (laughs) it's like three different systems that you have to that you have to integrate at the same time which is, is just very complicated and kind of fries my brain sometimes So one is the super moves, right? So you have a left-right dash, you have an upwards uppercut, you have a ground pound that you use to like move in one of those directions really quickly. Okay. okay? And then you also have a double jump, pretty standard. And then there are these particular notches that you can kind of like hook onto that catapult you in a certain direction. So you have to like jump up, hit, so, you know, X to jump, X to double jump, 
up circle to uppercut to get even higher and then triangle to latch onto the thing which shoots you over and then you can double jump again and then over dash to get to the platform that you need right so that's a lot of buttons just to make a single move right layered on top of that the whole story of this game is it's multi-dimensional so you're in all these different dimensions that are all like parallel universes but you can switch between two so you have your regular dimension and your like Dia de los Muertos style dimension. Different platforms, those little hooks that you catapult on, enemies can be in either dimension. So a certain platforming sequence might, like the one that I just described, jump, double jump, uppercut, catapult, double jump, side dash. That sequence could also take place where you need to switch dimensions while you are doing that. Right. So, like, say there's a platform that you can't jump through. So you jump, double jump, switch dimensions so that you can uppercut through a blank space, switch dimensions back because the catapult thing exists in this dimension. So then you catapult over, double jump, switch dimensions again because there's a wall in the way of your side dash, side dash through that now get empty space, and then switch dimensions again because that platform only exists in one dimension. So instead of it being like six button presses, it's like eight or like nine, ten button presses that are all like a really specific order that you have to do them. Right. So it's like if a lot of your, so you like enter an area, switch back and forth in the dimensions, like come up with a game plan and like plan your move ahead of time and then try to execute on it. Yeah. So that is all really, really satisfying. It is really difficult. And I'm not like the most hashtag gamer. Like I'm not like the quote like the best video game player i'm there are a lot of people out there with a lot better stick skills than me i'm competent i would i'm above average and i really struggle with some of these the biggest thing is like after you fail a couple times your brain just starts to mush right right because like you're trying to memorize the order that you have to do everything and that gets it like that the repetition of it doesn't help. It actually hurts. So sometimes I just have to like put the controller down, like just sit there for a couple of seconds and then go back in. It's like a super meat boy style thing, right. but there are multi dimensions and different moves and stuff versus just platforming. It's super fun, super satisfying when you do get it right. Like it feels really good. What makes it a little more frustrating is that sometimes it requires really precise platforming, not just like the correct ordering and the right moves at the right time, but like fitting in this like one like really small area or like when you switch back and forth dimensions, you have to be exactly pixel perfect. Otherwise, you can't switch dimensions at the right time. Uh And that like. It just kind of goes against the nature of the game because it's pretty like fluid, which sounds weird for a platformer. But it's pretty, it's a pretty fluid moving game. It's not like pixel perfect accuracy style, and so sometimes that comes across where it becomes a little bit annoying. But overall, I love that aspect of the game. It's really satisfying. The combat's super fun. There's a ton of different moves so you can do to experiment and it kind of guides you where some enemies have a green shield which means you need to do a ground pound some enemies have a red shield which means you need to do an uppercut in order to be able to hurt them so that helps keep things fresh as well as like you'll come across four enemies two of them are in one dimension two of them are in the other so you have to move between dimensions to do damage so a lot of that like it's just really really cool game looks amazing like i said the music is awesome it has that kind of mexican vibe 
it's just, the sense of humor is really good because there are like these wizard dudes that give you your powers, but they're also goats. And so they keep, they like morph back and forth between like old guy and goat. They make goat related jokes. You can transform into a chicken to do these like special side missions and get through areas. And uh, there's a lot of chicken related humor. There's like a chicken God that gives you special chicken powers. It's just a really funny, awesome, awesome game. Cannot recommend it highly enough. If you know what you're getting into with a really difficult action platformer like that. Can you see where the enemies are in the other dimension without yes. switching? Okay. They're like black shadows. Okay. I was going to say, and, that, that would suck. <laughs> yeah. If you could. For sure. And, and even when, like, if you're talking about a platform or the catapult thing, those are also outlined. Okay. Like, they're outlined in a way where you know you need to switch dimensions in order to get there. Okay. Yeah. It's, oh, it's so good. Going to be very high on my top 10 list for sure. Just like the first game was. Um, okay. So TV stuff. I have a lot. So I'm going to talk through a couple and then I'll hand it back over to you. So we finished The Handmaid's Tale season two. We had taken a really long break from that just because it was really slow and it wasn't really going anywhere. And it kept like some big thing would happen that totally mixes everything up. And then the next episode, it just reverts back to the status quo. And that was getting really tedious. So that doesn't get fixed, unfortunately. Um, but we did finish it. At this point, I'm I'm not even sure, honestly, that I'll want to watch season three, which is pretty nuts because I really liked the first season and a lot of elements of the second season. The writing is amazing. The acting, the character depth, and the the, the progression of the characters, the tension, the direction, like the cinematography and the music, all that stuff, all that like behind the scenes TV stuff is great. But the story sucks. And it does that thing which a lot of shit, shitty shows do where characters will do something completely out of what they would do to justify a plot point. So there's a huge cliffhanger at the end. The main character's on this path to do this thing that she's been trying to do. She's going to accomplish it. And then at the last second, she chooses not to so that they can justify a season three. And it was funny because Kelly and I both independently, after it ended, we were like, wow, that felt like the ending of season two of Marcella. Uh. <laughs> it wasn't that insane and terrible, but it wasn't good either. And so I'm kind of like, with the way that the show has gone in that fucking nothing happens, and finally something happened, and then she was like, actually, no, I'm going to go back and do the old thing again. I don't like I don't think we're even going to watch a season 3, which obviously they're going to make one. It's a really successful show. But man, I can't remember a show like this that had been so disappointing uh in a long time. Cuz even season 2 of Marcella, it was good up until like the last couple of episodes. We were yeah. still into it. This whole thing, I was just like I'm just bored now. Like every once in a while something like really crazy would happen where you pique your interest, but I just kind of like lost faith. Where even when something crazy happened, I was like, this isn't going to stick. It's not going to matter. And then it doesn't. So, huge, huge bummer for Handmaid's Tale. Uh, and then we just watched last night the new episode of Black Mirror called Bandersnatch. This is cool because it's a choose-your-own-adventure style. So, it's an actual interactive narrative where... The show will go, and then it will pop up a binary choice for you to make. And some of them are arbitrary. Like, the first one is like, which cereal do you want? And you choose it, and it doesn't really make a difference. But later on, it's like, you know, you're, he, the whole story is it's in the 80s. He's a video game programmer, and he's trying to make a choose-your-own-adventure video game. 
and that follows this like choose your own adventure book. The author of the book went crazy and murdered his wife. So there's that kind of element of horror to it where you're learning a little bit more about that. And the kid is the guy's like starting to sense that something isn't right. Like it's fourth wall breaking a little bit. And so like, Oh, something breaks in his game. How do you want to react? Do you want to throw something or do you want to break the computer? And like that kind of stuff that has more impact or you're, you're seeing a psychiatrist and your dad takes you there and you have a choice like, Oh, do you want to go see the psychiatrist or do you want to say no and go try to hang out with this other dude? And those are like big changes. It's a really cool idea. I feel like it was poorly executed. Unfortunately, because I was really excited to check this out. The first thing in the execution, I think the acting is kind of bad, especially from the main guy who is, he was the main dude. If you could say there's a main dude in the movie Dunkirk. Okay. He sucks in this. The dad is also very bad. There's another character, like there are a couple other characters who are all pretty good, but those are the main two characters and they both are bad. So that kind of hurts it a lot. There's also, we're like, it's, the choices are timed, right? So you get 10 seconds to make a choice. And because it's a film and they can't just like cut once you make a choice, each time it takes the full 10 seconds. So even if it's like, hey, which cereal do you want? You pick Frosted Flakes right away. You have to sit there for nine more seconds as the characters just kind of like look at each other like make faces to fill the time and it just kind of like uh, stretches it out that's weird So that kind of sucks but there isn't really a way around it because they can't like do a quick cut because it would feel really disjointed so i don't know that there was a better solution but it's when you make a choice it i don't know it it's weird it's it's a weird thing um I also feel like, which is the main the main issue, a lot of the choices kind of come out of nowhere. Like, they're unjustified choices. And I don't really want to give, like, a specific example because it would be spoilery. But, like... Okay, here's one that wouldn't... When it's not, like, a super spoiler. So you're talking to the psychiatrist, right? She's talking about something that's upsetting to you. and But the dude's, like, just sitting there, which is part of the bad acting. He's just a really flat performance. But he's just sitting there, and then it, the, the choice pops up. Do you want to bite your fingernails or pull on your earlobe? And you're like, why would I do either of those things? Because nothing has happened to make him do that. So you just choose one. And then while you're waiting after the choice is made, then something happens that makes him do the thing. So it's like they're out of order almost. Like the impulse needs to happen first and then the choice and then the action. And right now you make the choice then the impulse happens, then the action happens. So it feels very disjointed and unjustified when you're making a lot of the choices. It also feels like, despite it being a choose-your-own-adventure and there are a lot of, like, resets of, like, it's a very clear, when you make the wrong choice that ends the story, there's a clear indication that that happens and then it resets and lets you go back. And there's a whole, like, time travel parallel universe in this that makes the resetting feel justified, which was smart. But there's a very clear actual ending. And if you until you get to that ending, all of the other mock endings, there's something that happens in that that you need to see in order to get to the actual ending. Okay. So if you played this for the first time, you could never optimal path it to get to the optimal ending. You need to fail in order to learn stuff to get to that ending. Does that make sense? Yes. And that's fine, but it takes away that choose your own adventure part of it 
because you aren't really choosing your own adventure. You are get it's like the Telltale games. It's a diamond shape. Everyone starts in the same point. They diverge in the middle and they always end at the same point. That makes the choice feel a lot less impactful and meaningful because everyone else is also making that choice because they specifically designed it to encourage you to make that choice because you have to in order to be able to make the other choice the next time. I got you. That sounds really complicated, but I would say it's still something absolutely worth checking out. Anyone listening to this podcast will get something out of this because it's relation to video games and movies and television and the sci-fi horror aspect to it. There's still a lot of really cool stuff that I would love to see Netflix continue to experiment with this kind of storytelling. I just think that this particular example is unsuccessful. So It's a shame because I know Black Mirror is really popular. Yes, and I love Black Mirror. I have a ranking of all the episodes on com, and I will be adding Bandersnatch to that list. I think, personally, there are more bad episodes of Black Mirror than there are good episodes of Black Mirror. However, even the bad episodes are still worth watching because they're fascinating. And they always say something interesting about society or have some interesting twist on a trope that's like worth experiencing, even if the actual story is poor. And that's exactly how I feel about Bandersnatch. There's a lot of cool ideas happening. It just doesn't come together. But you should still check it out. So what have you been watching? Um, so a couple nights ago for my mother-in-law's birthday, we went and saw Vice, which yeah. is the Dick Cheney film uh, right. starring Christian Bale as Dick Cheney. And Sam Rockwell is Bush, right? Yes. Um. Holy shit. That movie was a lot. Um, okay. So they kind of, like, the trailer made it kind of seem like a little bit of a comedy, but I knew it was probably going to have some dramatic elements. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a liberal propaganda film. Yeah. Yep, like holy shit. I could shit. tell that from the trailers. And like I I consider myself to be pretty liberal and still holy shit. Yeah. Just like Cheney maybe tangentially responsible for 9/11. Yep. Like <laughs> like it's it's in I, was like, I haven't holy seen it. Holy shit. But it, it sounds like you're confirming my assumptions based upon the trailers. What they did was like, let's take this these real-life people in real-life scenarios and manipulate them in an almost farcical way to just completely shit on Republicans. Yes. And I'm like, that seems like a terrible movie to make. Like, why would anyone take this seriously? Oh, right. It's Hollywood, so everyone's going to love this. So... Despite it starring Christian Bale and Sam Rockwell, literally two of my favorite actors, zero interest in seeing this. Not because I'm like a big Bush supporter or I'm a super conservative. I'm a moderate. I mean, I voted for Bush the second time around, but it was more because I didn't want to vote for Al Gore. But, like, I don't have no attachment to Bush or to Cheney or to the Republican Party in general. But this just seems like trash. Like, let's just shit on Republic. Like, let's further divide our already divided political system. Right. That's kind of what it felt like. bad. Yeah. And it felt like people letting off steam. Yeah. 
and like it, it felt like it wasn't constructive in any way. Yeah. Right. Um, like they weren't really trying to say anything, right? Like other than be, because it it is so, like you said, farcical. I'm sure there are elements of it that might be like interesting discussions to have, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know that there's really anything of value that it presents the watcher. Um, yeah, I. Mm. It was strange. Uh, okay, I, I guess like the thing of value in the movie is that everyone just does a tremendous job. Sure. Like Christian Bale as Dick Cheney, holy shit. That guy can fucking do anything, apparently. Yeah. Because that's been proven time hell. and time again. He is <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> He's and, like, Meryl Streep. Like he can literally play anyone. Yeah, and like e- like even Steve Carell did an awesome job as oh, right. um uh Rumsfeld. I think he's Rumsfeld. Okay. Um yeah, just like the the performances in that film are phenomenal. If there is a reason to see it, it's that. But just okay. like they have like all of these like they'll just do like propag- like straight up propaganda shots, like black and white film style like like propaganda sequences uh, of the, like subliminal messaging stuff, but like they kind of let you know that this is subliminal messaging so it's that mm-hmm. it's not effective it's just like here this is what the government does to us like uh to manipulate how we process and view information and some of that stuff's not off base um mm-hmm. but so, it's just that it's one sided right exactly and and yeah. so therefore it inherently doesn't have like debatable value because right. it is so one sided right um and i think that's a shame like all liberals that see this are gonna love it. All conservatives that see this are gonna hate it. Therefore, like it has no actual value in that discussion because it isn't sparking any conversations. Right. It feels like uh, it feels like <laughs> it, it feels like social media. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like this film is echo chamber. Film, the movie. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> this film isn't seeking to start a discussion. It's just like here's how we feel. Right. Like. Yeah. That doesn't help anybody. Um, I don't know. That's disappointing. I was it hoping is. that maybe my take after the trailer might be incorrect. So it sucks to learn that, yep, it's, exa- it's exactly what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Which means there's I'm not seeing this. It would just piss me off. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, it was... I was just, like, flabbergasted the whole time. Um, and, like, Kara and I were sitting next to each other just, like, sharing looks the entire time. Yeah. Like, did they really just, like... Is that where we're going right now? Um, wow. Yeah, and like, I don't know. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it because, like, whatever. It is. To- There's a narrator, and you're like, who is this guy? He's like, well, you know, in some ways, I am related to Cheney, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? And it, like, it keeps showing like he'll be narrating, and it'll cut to him, and he's doing something from his life. Uh, and like interacting like with his wife and daughter and stuff, or like going out on a jog or whatever. And then he's like over in Afghanistan or Iran as a soldier. Um, and it turns out like he is playing. So the narrator is played by a guy who is playing the part of the person who donated their heart, who passed away, who who is the heart donor for um, Cheney or his heart transplant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of like this disapproving story is being told by the person whose heart was used to save Cheney's life and like 
how like how cynical and how like frustrated after the fact this guy is like post-mortem about how his heart was used to save this guy who so whose fault whose up. fault the conflict was that he was over there in the first place all this so like, like so it's really fucked project, up stuff to yeah project your personal political beliefs onto someone who is dead yeah and act like they would agree with you fuck off i mean they never said the dude's name um so it's possible that his family was contacted and had a hand in in the deal. It, that doesn't but matter. I don't know. That's still it was no. Very weird. And the whole the, wrong. the entire point is that someone is speaking on behalf of someone else who no longer has a voice. Right. I don't care if it's the dude's wife. That shouldn't be happening. You are not that person. You do not know their heart. No pun intended. <laughs> or their soul. Like you don't know who they are as a person. Like. If, if, you know, God forbid, some night, like if I were to die and Kelly were to like make a movie about my life and have it be all about what's secretly going on in my mind, fuck off. You're not in there. Right. Only I know. Like, no, that's it was so messed shitty. Up. <laughs> it's even worse when the person is dead because they, they, they can't, he can't, uh, he can't say, yes, I agree with that. Right. And he can't say, no, you're totally off base. We don't know. That's so fucked up. I, I hate this movie now. Yeah. It was messed up. Um, I don't know if, yeah, I don't, mm, I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, it's possible that Dick Cheney's heart transplant came from a woman from some other country, like who, who knows, but the story was being narrated by, and they never Mm -hmm. went out of their way to say that this is not real. Like at the beginning, they were like, Dick Cheney was one of the most secretive people, blah, 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 blah. But we decided to do a documentary about him anyways. We did our fucking best is how the movie opened. And it's like, ha, 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 that's funny. And then you watch the whole thing. You think about it. And it's like, oh, so you just made up a bunch of they just shit. just made up everything. To, like, to slander the Republican Party. Yeah. <laughs> it's it like, is. Holy the, the, shit. This movie, it's, it's slant. Well, I think slander technically has to be written. But, like, oh, it, yeah. it is. It's, it's, no, libel has to be Libel's written. Libel's It is. It's slander. It is sl- a movie of slander. Yeah. And How is this allowed to exist? Because imagine, it's if they, imagine if they made this movie about Hillary Clinton. Right. I guess I guess it's allowed because it, it's technically farcical. It's just farcical enough to where they can get away people. with it. It's using real people's names. Yeah. Fuck that movie. It's messed and what makes up. it even worse is in ten years we're gonna get one about Trump. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Yeah. Maybe. One hundred percent. People hate Trump way more than they hated Bush. Yeah. And that's all it takes. It's a movie based on hate. The movie was made because of hate. Yeah, and they really present Bush as a fucking idiot. Yeah, like of course. Like a huge idiot. Like completely incompetent, in over his head, total idiot who's like basically begging Cheney for help um, and just lets him get away with whatever just so that he can have office. Um, yeah. This movie's got some weird shit in it, dude. Fuck that movie. Let's move on. Yeah. I'm getting angry. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah. What, so I've, have, do I you have movies? I still have a lot more stuff. Okay. Um, so, movies-wise, just so we watch, we watch Christmas stuff every year, obviously. So, Kelly and I watched Die Hard and Home Alone this year. Die Hard is, in fact, a Christmas movie. I don't want to hear anything otherwise. Home Alone is probably the greatest Christmas movie ever made. I'm not sure. I'd have to really sit down and think about it, but I think it is. Also, watch A Christmas Story because it's tradition. You have to watch A Christmas Story. And then 
Um, we were watching a movie one night at Mom's, so we watched Emperor's New Groove. Which is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. <laughs> the greatest movie of all time, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe the best Disney movie. Again, I would need to really sit down and think about it, and someday I will have a full list of every Disney movie, like all 80 of them. But Emperor's New Groove is definitely top five. Oh, yeah. Not including Pixar movies. Um, and then at Dad's, we watched Yes Man, which I don't remember when that movie came out, but it's relatively old. Well, it came um, out, it was the first movie I went to see with my high school girlfriend, Laurel. I believe we started dating in like 2008. Okay. I'm just looking on uh, IMDb real quick. Yep, 2008. Nailed it. So it's 10, 10 years old. Yep. Um, I feel like it hasn't aged as well as I remember. Like, I always remember that as being like, it's Jim Carrey, who I love, but it always being like, it's fine. Like, it's an okay Jim Carrey movie. It's certainly not one of his, like, great movies. Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't enjoy it as much watching it the second time after all that. Yeah, it's still some funny stuff, but a lot of it's just kind of dumb. Yeah, I didn't enjoy it as much because it's attached to <laughs> that person I just mentioned. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So those are all kind of all the movies we watched. Just a lot of Christmas sort of stuff and Emperor's New Groove, the greatest movie of all time. Of course. Uh. So watching Scrubs. So I'm now in season six. So JD knocked Kim up. I have firmly decided that JD should have ended up with Kim and Elliot should have either stayed with uh, the dude Meister Keith or had stayed with Sean either one. I don't care, but JD should have stayed with Kim. That should have been how the show ended. And I can't believe they undid that to arbitrarily force JD and Elliot to get together at the end because they're terrible together. It's stupid and makes me angry. JD and Kim forever. (laughs) um so obviously we're still looking for that replacement competition cooking show haven't found it yet but we did watch uh, a show on netflix called ugly delicious uh which is hosted by some chef i can't remember his name but it's just like each episode is about a particular kind of food so the first well i should say don't watch it unless you're gonna get the food that the episode's about because you're gonna want to get the food that the episode's about so the first one was about pizza. Oh, and it man. made me really want pizza. I just had pizza last <laughs> night. I would eat it again. And it's like all different again. kinds of pizza. So there's like a local New York place that they go and talk about it. They it's a, it's very document documentary style. So they go to like Italy and um, the Neapolitana pizza, which is like literally government regulated. They need to use a certain kind of cheese and certain kind of sauce in order for it to qualify as a Neapolitana pizza. And then they even like. Talk about Domino's, and he goes to Domino's and helps deliver Domino's pizza just to, like, show the experience of it. And then the second episode was about tacos, which made me really want tacos. Hell yeah. And it was also very good because it was a bunch of different kinds of tacos. Like, hey, going to Mexico and learning about the way that they do tacos and in South America and all the different sort of tacos. Like, people making fine dining tacos. There's, like, a three Michelin star restaurant in Mexico that serves tacos. So, like, it's it's just a really cool... Food-focused show. Not competition, but food-focused. We also watched the first episode of a show also on Netflix called Chef's Table, which is sort of a do- each episode's a documentary on a particular chef. So this first one, don't remember the dude's name. He's Italian. He's an Italian chef, Michelin star restaurant. Uh, actually, the number three ranked restaurant in the world. So he's probably pretty good. 
And so it's just like a lot of stuff about his thought process, about creating a menu, uh, different ingredients he likes to play around with, and then some like backstory on like his family, how he got into cooking, that sort of thing. And it's just a really cool like documentary series on different kinds of chefs. So both of those are really highly recommended. Ugly Delicious if you want to learn more about a particular kind of food. Chef's Table if you want to learn about amazing chefs. Still haven't found that competition show, but we'll keep looking. But in the meantime, we just like cooking shows, period. So we'll yeah. probably watch more of those tonight. These seem like good, like, interim substitutes for yeah. you guys. Yeah. Or, like, if you're just looking to kill an hour, just watch an episode of one of these. It's just a cool, cool thing if you like food. And then finally, um, we were looking for something to watch the uh, night before we left Mom's house. Just something funny. And I came across Jerry Seinfeld... I'm telling you for the last time, which was a stand-up set he did in 98, which was right when Seinfeld was wrapping up and he kind of made the decision, I'm going to throw out all of my material and just start from scratch. And that's kind of went when he went away for a while and then kind of came back with this whole new stand-up persona thing. So this, I'm telling you for the last time, was his last tour where, with all of his most classic bits. A lot of the ones that you see intermittently during episodes of Seinfeld when they show his stand-up stuff. So that was cool to kind of see him make a set out of a bunch of classic bits and put them all together. It was kind of a weird performance. And maybe it was just not his best show from that tour, but he just didn't really seem into it. Like, he kind of seemed like he was doing it out of obligation, which is maybe the case. Like, this was his last send-off for all of his old bits, and it's like his saying goodbye. But just seemed a little bit more low energy, and like he flubbed words several times, which is a very un-Jerry Seinfeld-like thing to do. Yeah. So it's just a weird a weird experience to watch that. It just wasn't, wasn't the best Jerry Seinfeld thing I've seen. Uh, but it was cool to see all those classic bits put together in, into one show. Um, okay. Anything else that you've been doing? Uh, we jump yeah. Into the news? Uh, while I was... Like, out of town and stuff I read for a little bit. I finished mm-hmm. that Half a King, Half the World, Half a War trilogy by Joe Abercrombie. I finished that. Awesome. Very yeah. good. Very, very good. Best trilogy. Um, <laughs> and then I, the book that I couldn't read uh, last time because it was all black was... It's the Night Angel trilogy by Brent Weeks. Um, so I started that. Um, so I think I'm, like, halfway through the first book on that one and then you got me paper girls volumes two and three and battle pug volumes four and five yeah battle pug those comics are ridiculous (laughs) for for those who don't know battle pug is it's like a conan like character like a conan Mm -hmm. the barbarian like character who rides a giant um pug into battle battle pug battle pug (laughs) <laughs> awesome and then, pretty simple concept yep it's in the name and then paper girls is that um uh, kind of stranger things like sci-fi series that i started um a little while ago i had the first volume and then you just got me the the next two so looking forward to reading all of those nice yeah i uh with the, my star wars comics and um I bought those couple of saga trades to get caught up and realize that I was lost. So I'm going to go back from the beginning there. And then Sex Criminals, I bought the third trade of that, realized I was lost there. So I need to start from the beginning with that as well. <laughs> so have lots of comics that I, you know, I actually want to reread. Saga and Sex Criminals are both really, really good. And then all my Star Wars stuff too. So yeah, I'll be reading those in my little break here. I imagine I'll be rereading a lot of stuff over the summer. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you're going to have a big break in the summer. All right. 
let's jump into some news because we got some other stuff to, to cover today as well. So relatively light news period makes sense at the end of the year, but we did get a release date for the second episode of Life is Strange Season 2 coming out on January 24th. That will have been 119 days in between episodes 1 and 2. That's a lot. Which is a lot. So hopefully, because I've already, you know, I played episode 1, I'm kind of now playing them as they come out. I'm not going to wait because I'll be waiting for like two years probably. But hopefully they find a better release schedule where there isn't this much time in between episodes. Yeah, maybe it means that the episodes are going to be longer? I don't Um, know. Yeah, I don't know. The first one... I mean, it wasn't short, but it wasn't. It didn't feel like significantly longer than any than the first season. So okay. Um, I uh, also noticed that this is like it's like forty or forty five bucks for the whole season. Yeah, so it's like a lot more money than any previous that of that kind of game because usually Telltale stuff is like twenty five, and I want to say the first season was on par with that. Um, I don't think that's true because I bought the whole season. I think it was like twenty five bucks. Uh, Life is unless strange. there was like a special edition. So Life is that Strange was... two complete season is do do and it's forty nine dollars. It's fifty dollars. Jeez, it's on sale for thirty six right now. What does that come with? Oh no, sorry, it's forty one dollars. Um. Yeah, so this Life is Strange season two complete season thirty six dollars. Um, it's it's just the five episodes. Yeah, yeah, one through five. I don't remember spending that much. I think it was twenty five bucks. Yeah, because uh, the first episode right now is only four dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it normally is eight, so it's half off right now, and mm-hmm. then. Episode two through five bundle is thirty three dollars, mm. so right now it's thirty five eighty seven. That's weird. That's yeah. pretty expensive. It is, yeah, forty one dollars. Um, maybe you're right. Maybe the episodes will be longer then. That's a much bigger ask. So yeah, maybe they're like thinking bigger in scope. Yeah, maybe I just got it cheaper because I bought it before it was out or something, and they like increased the price when it launched. I don't know, but uh, I definitely didn't pay forty bucks. Yeah, maybe as like an early adopter thing that had a better yeah. deal. Um, okay, so we also got a new trailer for Control, which is the new game from Remedy, makers yes. of Alan Wake and Quantum Break. Quantic? Quantum, Quantum Break. 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 Cuz Quantic Dream is the yes. <laughs> yes, the David Cage. Um, so this trailer, it was kind of like a style trailer about like the oldest house, which is where the game takes place. I'm getting a lot more spooky vibes from this game than I was originally. Like, I knew it would be sort of weird sci-fi-ish, but it seems like horror game almost in in a lot of the settings, which I'm excited. I'm not as into, but I'm going to play it because it looks awesome. There are these, like, Um, creepy floating creatures that are like a human bent that has been bent backwards yeah in half but then also has something else growing out the front so like the top half of the human is bent backwards and like hanging loose behind it Mm -hmm. and then there's like the legs and then there's something else on the front like some bulbous thing kind of gives like some dead space vibes for sure there's also a lot of like floating people like people like frozen in midair floating which for some reason really reminds me of the little girls from inside that were swimming, oh, like with the floating, sure. floaty black hair. I don't yeah, know why. Water it just baby. makes me think of that. 
when i when i played it i was calling them water babies and then carol was watching me play inside and i was like no water baby no water baby no water baby water baby and then <laughs> uh, i got them like when you were swimming in those games to get away from them like uh, i got so like at, the closer she got i just kept tensing and tensing and tensing yeah. and tensing oh man it's terrifying <laughs> so but yeah, yeah this game looks spooky it looks really good looks really cool and I like um, it. the the dude who does the narration in the trailer uh, was from the Max Payne games. Yes, and he is he plays the old director who dies in the beginning of the game. Your character takes over as director and gets that like living gun, and then you're part of it. You're trying to figure out how and why he died is part of the story. Looks cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so from software in an interview came out and said that they have two unannounced projects. So currently they have Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which they announced at E3, which is more of an action-y game than their kind of RPGs of the past. And they're also working on Deracine, which is a little bit more of an adventure game style game. I think game. it's PSVR. Is it VR? Okay, yes, that's right. Yeah, you're right. I think you're right. Um, so they have those two already, but they have two unannounced projects. The most obvious choice would be Bloodborne and A New Dark Souls, because he did say... Uh, that it will be in the style of their previous games. So I would say probably Bloodborne 2 is more likely between right. those two games. People have been clamoring for that it. for a while. And D- Dark Souls 3 like did well, and people liked it more than Dark Souls 2, but it seemed to still be kind of like uh, people were kind of ready for it to end. So yeah. maybe it could also be like a new IP or something like that. Uh, but I think Bloodborne 2 is probably a safe bet. Maybe that's something we would get an announcement for with whatever Sony's doing early 2019, that Sean Layden came out and said, hey, see you in the new year, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's a good point. Bethesda is uh, trying to be nice to people (laughs) with the Fallout 76 stuff. So they're giving Fallout Classic Collection to everyone that has played Fallout 76 in 2018. So this includes Fallout, Fallout 2, and Fallout Tactics. Originally, this was a pre-order bonus for people that got the special edition on PC, but is now available for anybody that has played Fallout 76 on PC, Xbox, or PlayStation 4. You can get this collection on PC. They're going to be giving it out at some point in January, so I would keep an eye out for an email or on Steam or something, or just news stories, etc., for how you can get those. I'm not sure that I would ever play them, but I'm certainly going to redeem him because why not? Yeah, I, I already owned them, um, mm. but uh, and I had tried to play them before, and they just, since I had never played them, like Fallout 3 was my first yeah. Fallout game, going back to that format is yeah. not, it's just not that accessible uh, for today's standards. But I know like a lot of people prefer those games, and for those folks, I feel like they already have them. Sure. Um, in some way, but you know, maybe they don't have it digitally or on whatever platform. So who knows? I think this is just a PR thing. Oh, like, for sure. That game's getting shit on so much. They're just trying to do whatever they can to yeah be nice because they have to, to the know most base. of the people won't even redeem them, um, yeah. the codes or whatever. So they're not really losing out on much. But at least everyone will hear that. Hey, they're giving free stuff. So makes sense. Right. Moving into movies. We got a trailer for the new Hellboy, starring the cop guy from Stranger Things. And boy, it looks bad. I just... mm, You can't make a Hellboy without Ron Perlman, dude. It's not the same. I just don't know why they're making this at all. Because, like, the first Hellboy wasn't that successful, but it had a huge cult following, and it was like a beloved adaptation of that character. 
by Guillermo del Toro, who's an amazing visionary director. Yeah. And then they made the sequel, which wasn't nearly as successful. People didn't like it as much. I certainly didn't. But it was still like a fine movie. Yeah. And it's more just like this has never been that popular of a character. The original movies didn't do that well. Like why remake this at all? So and is it a going, remake or is it a third movie? It's not a third. It's a remake. It's a new thing. Weird. Yeah. And did, did they like reboot the comic? A, so what? Have they rebooted the comic? I have no idea. Okay, because that would make sense. Yeah, but it, my point is like it's but, not like it's like a triple A comic, right? Like it's not like this. It's not like it's a Marvel thing. It just seems weird to do this at all, and they're clearly doing like a more comedic take on it, and it which wasn't is less interesting at all. Funny, like right. not even a little funny at all in the trailer one bit, and it's coming out on my birthday, April twelfth. So happy birthday! Yep, know what I'm not doing when I'm on my birthday? Not seeing Hellboy. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It just looks really lame. Speaking of lame, yeah, we also got a trailer for Men in Black International. Yeah. Starring Thor and Valkyrie from the Thor movies. Yeah. It also looks bad. Hooray! Making sequels that are unnecessary. Yeah. I don't even I don't even really have anything to say about it. It just looks like a crappy movie. Right. I I will watch it when it is on Netflix. Um Also, okay, the end of the trailer. Mm-hmm. So it is Chris Hemsworth. Mm-hmm. He, at the end of the trailer, he picks up a hammer, mm-hmm. and he says, "Now the tables have turned." Is that a fucking Thor joke? Hundred percent. What the totally. fuck? They all exist in the same universe, but they man. don't. It's not Marvel. <laughs> they never have. Parallel universe, multiverse. What is happening? In this world, Thor is a lame men in black agent. That's more interesting than just Chris Hemsworth is a men in black agent. (laughs) Fair enough. Thor as a men in black agent (laughs) is way more interesting. Right. Hmm. So, I don't know. Looks like a bad movie. Yeah. Also... Were there any female agents in the first three movies? Yes. Okay. I couldn't remember. It's been too long since I watched them. I was at least going to say... At, at least there's a female agent now, but I don't. I guess there are. Well, has I mean, been. In, in the original, like, she wasn't a main character. Okay. So, in this one, one of the main characters is a female agent. Okay. Sure. Yay. Inclusionism. Right. She's also, she's also black. True. Woohoo. Doesn't make mean i'm gonna go watch a bad movie (laughs) like right make a good movie first that's what i care about i don't know man i'll watch it on netflix when i don't have to pay any extra money for it fair enough okay before we wrap up because this episode is being posted on december 31st the final day of 2018 the final day of 2018 and because I've only played probably half of the video games that I want to play before I put together a top 10 list, Kyle has put together a top 10 list. Yes. If you want to read it, he was gracious enough to do a guest post on SheaHatesEverything.com. I did so a you thing. Can check out the, you can check out the written article, 
not going to just like read through it, but wanted to open the floor, Kyle, to talk about your favorite games in the year of our Lord, 2018. Yes. Two zero one two. Nope. 2018. All right. Um, so the year 2018. Mm-hmm. Or no, would that be, yeah, 20,000, yeah, 200,018. Wait, so it'd be two zero, it would be two, three zeros, one eight. So, so it'd be 200,018. Yes, 200,018. Wow, the and they still post, haven't post, made post, a good Pokemon post game. Apocalypse, post apocalypse. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, I'll just read them in reverse order. So, starting at number 10, um, Pokemon Let's Go. Uh, on Nintendo Switch, I got Pikachu. Shay, you got Eevee. Um, uh, so if you want to read the article, I just talk about it. it's basically it's a nostalgia trip, and I think and based upon I also have written down all of the games that released in 2018 that I played this year. So if that gives you some perspective as to why this actually made the top ten, um, I just didn't like any of those other games more than this. <laughs> um, so it like. It's just 10 by virtue of nostalgia. Like, the the new animations, the new environments, the way uh, the new musical score that evokes, like, just enough of those old, um, the, that old soundtrack, that little 8-bit uh, MIDI track from the original games. Um, it just, it, it makes me feel good. It feels like home. Um, and I just, I really like it. I also hate the catch mechanic. Um, mm-hmm. I think there are some smart things around it, but inherently it's a bad system um, when it is used to replace a core part of how you um, come to be attached to your team. Like, the whole thing about Pokemon is you become very attached to the six that you choose because you are the you train them every single level, you fight with them every single battle, and this you don't have that, so you don't have that same attachment to those Pokemon. Like the whole point is you're trying to catch better and better versions of them, like stronger or faster or bigger or smaller yeah. versions of them. So you're just like replacing them like they're fucking garbage on the street, um, and it's like a really weird thing. Um, you just send him to the professor. Yeah, and he gives like, you like you're, you're, some candies. Like I no, I feel like that's like you send him to a when, when your goldfish dies and your parents say that he went to goldfish <laughs> heaven, but they actually flushed. He went to the, the professor. I feel like that's what hap- What's happening? Pro- the professor. You think from all the trainers out in the world, do you think he's really taking care of eighty million Eevee or uh, like rat ratatas? These like these Pokemon. They're being euthanized. Let's be honest here. He's eating them. <laughs> right. Raw. <laughs> And wriggling. Um, so that was my number 10. My number 9 was Battlefield 5 on PC. Um, obviously, you listen to the podcast, so you know that Shay and I don't play competitive multiplayer games. This is just the single-player component that I right. played. I played some of the multiplayer, and it was fucking terrible, and I hated every second <laughs> of it. Um, except when I got kills, so I hated 99% of it. Um, okay. So I just think there are a lot of... Uh, the, the vignettes that they have for you to play you there are interesting characters that i just wish there were more of and i think that's that's a good sign that i wanted more of it it just sucks that there wasn't more of it um and so you know, they set up these interesting locations and characters and, and relationships with other characters and then uh you, know, you just kind of have to move on to the next thing which is a really big bummer but it's a cool return to like classic uh like 
Battlefield Bad Company style where you have a few objectives and a big open area in which to accomplish them. And it's, hey, like, you do you. You accomplish this however you want. Here are the tools. Blow some shit up. Uh, and mm-hmm. you do a lot of that in this game. You blow a lot of shit up. There's also some really uh, rewarding stealth sections um, that, uh, and the stealth works reasonably well. Uh, that are it was it was still challenging and and, and fun. Um, yeah, just a lot of really really interesting environments and a lot of cool like new gadgets for you to use, like the skis that I've talked about before. Um, just like a lot of really fun moments that i felt like the author of and so that's why it made it onto my list um i just wish there was more of it um my number eight final fantasy 12 the zodiac age played it on pc um obviously you already know from listening to the podcast that i'm shay and i are both huge final fantasy fans um shay you like 12 more than i do um Mm -hmm. but this makes it on my list by virtue of the fact that i never finished it i still haven't beaten the pc version but i would like to but I never finished it the first time around because okay. it was so long and drawn out and like right. the dialogue is so fucking uninteresting. Um, and like the, the characters just don't sell anything really well. And it's just very flat and I hate to say European, but kind of like stale European. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's a little stilted. Stuffy. Yes. Yeah. Stuffy writing. Um, that's good. Uh, but the, the the combat was really interesting because it was kind of a blend of two different styles. It was the turn-based combat that I'd come to know and love from Final Fantasy mixed with more of a real-time action RPG um, from that age. And they kind of blended the two in an interesting way. And I thought that the uh, license board was kind of a natural progression uh, and, and a better version of what they had tried to accomplish with the sphere grid. Um, so I, I liked all of those aspects of it. And then in the Zodiac Age, there's like some extra content thrown in there, which is nice. And there's a big quality of life where you can turn uh, on and off like four times or two times speed. So yep. all that time spent grinding um, is now sped up. Because the, the thing about Final Fantasy XII, you have the Gambit system where you set up it's like programming. You say, when this happens, or if this happens, this thing uh, is a reaction to that trigger. So, uh, Final Fantasy twelve at a certain point, if you do that right, and that's part of the satisfaction, is the game plays itself uh, in a lot of situations. Like, you are doing minimal input because you have, a, you have made smart accommodations for most things that can happen in combat. Um, mm-hmm. So, putting it on four times doesn't necessarily take anything away from the experience. It just helps... Um, get you through it faster so it's less tedious so well, I, there's a lot of grinding in that game yeah oh a huge amount and um it speeds that up right literally um and and so you know i always felt like i would do like an hour of grinding um whereas back in the day i would do like five or six hours of grinding and so i would go and fight a boss and i would feel prepared after just grinding for a single hour sure. um and it's a really great game to like put a podcast or a video on on a second monitor um, yep. Or another another screen and, and and play it. So I really really enjoyed my time with that. So that's why it was my number eight. I did that a lot when I because I played it on PS4. It was on my top ten list last year, and I did that all the time where I would just you know put on the giant bombcast. So for the next two and a half hours, I'm gonna listen to that podcast and just grind on here. And right. I just turn the music all the way down, put it on four X speed, and just level the hell up super fast. Right. I guess I should say that this is the PC version, and this came out this year. Um, yeah, the, and if the you want to put something on there, if you want to put a game on there that's old, I don't care. It's your personal list. Who cares? It's fair. 
Um, I tried to make these all 2018 releases, at least on mm -hmm. the platforms on which I played them on. Um, number seven is Moonlighter on PC. Um, so this is a game that I bought one of my friends because it was on his Steam wish list because I really, really liked it. I had that bad experience where um, I have not gone back to it since then because I was waiting for it to get patched. And now I think it's been enough time that there has been patches for it. But I got to the end of a dungeon and the boss, I killed the boss uh, and it was a great run. It was like a perfect run. I didn't take any hits even on the boss. And it glitched to where I couldn't access my backpack or my inventory, and I couldn't warp out, and so I was stuck. I could claim all these awesome, like, prizes and stuff, but I was stuck. So I had to restart the game, and I lost my run progress. And I was mm -hmm. like, fuck this. I need to step away for a long time and wait for them to patch it. Um, so I want to go back to it because I think it has a really smart loop. So you run a shop, um, and... To get supplies for your shop, you have to go into the dungeon and kill monsters and loot stuff and bring it back so you can sell it. When you sell it, you get money, which you can spend to bring uh, new shops and vendors to your town or, like, improve your shop so you get better stuff or have um, more room to display and sell more items. Um, or if you, like, bring a weaponsmith to the town, you then have access to better weapons that you can then go into further dungeons uh, get farther, get better loot, bring it back, more money for better items to go further to get better loot. It's that loop. And it's paced really, really well. It's kind of paced relentlessly. Like, there's mm -hmm. not a good stopping point. You just have to say, like, okay, I have to be finished yeah. now yeah. Uh, okay. and stop because it just flows and it just goes and goes and goes. Uh, and I think it's really, really smart. The art is great, has a lot of really, really um, uh, fantastic animations with its uh, kind of pixelated style that, that, that it has. Um, so yeah, Moonlighter, uh, I think the, the controls are pretty tight uh, for one of those games. I don't like run-based games, but having the ability, like feeling the direct effects of each run uh, and how it tied into the other systems in the game was so smart and rewarding um, that uh, you know it, it made it into my top 10, which I think is telling that I don't enjoy run-based games when it's just like, hey, I got this far. Like, okay, so fucking what? Like, whatever, dude. Like, I want... There has to be some meaning to my progression, um, mm -hmm. and this has that in in spades. Um, my number six is Katamari Damacy Reroll or Damacy Reroll uh, on the Switch. That game is perfect, but <laughs> I didn't feel comfortable uh, making it my game of the year or in my top five because it's literally just a high res re release of that original game. They didn't do any additional work really to it. Um, oh. it's just kind of a, a visual revamp and being, having the ability to play it on a new system. And cause the way you would play co-op with Katamari was one person would have one hand on the right part of the controller. The other would hold the left part of the controller and each person yeah. would be on a different stick. Now with the joy cons, you can separate them and hand them each to one of the people and then kind of go that way. So that's fun. It's like, it's easier to do co-op if that's how you want to play it. That's not how I would play it, but, um, it has all the classic levels, uh, the extra cousins you can play as all the little gifts and stuff. Um, it's got everything from the classic game and that game is damn near perfect. So it's my number six. Um, number five is Detroit become human. This is not a good game. This is a very <laughs> bad game. Um, and uh, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna read this segment of my review because I think it's worded properly, and I don't want to mess up the wording. This is not a good game, and those who are offended by it should probably be offended because it doesn't handle any of the moments or subject matter well, at all. Slavery, 
The Holocaust, domestic abuse, drug abuse, oh my. David Cage is incapable of saying much of anything about any of those things other than the fact that they're bad and maybe we shouldn't do any of them. <laughs> um, he is right. He is right. <laughs> He's not wrong. Um, but uh, I just, I played it with my wife and we had one of the best times playing games together, playing this game because of, it's just like the perfect couch co-op. Like you get to make decisions together. Uh, you get to execute on them, see where it goes. The narrative, the narrative is strong. If albeit like very obvious with its tropes, um, horrendously obvious with its tropes. Uh, and just, we enjoyed it ironically. Um, I don't think it's healthy for someone to enjoy this game unironically, uh, because that speaks to maybe you being woefully ignorant of things that go on in the world. Um, but like it was such a fun time to see him earnestly think he's saying something profound. (laughs) Um, And just like technically, the game is a masterpiece. It looks amazing, um, uh-huh. and the the performances are usually very good. There are a few mm-hmm. that are not great, um, but usually the performances are are very good as well. The foley work is strong. Um, I, like I enjoyed looking at the game, um, and I have always enjoyed David C- David Cage's games increasingly as time goes on more and more ironically i think this is right. finally the game where the table has completely turned <laughs> yeah. um and uh it's jumped the direction. proverbial shark yes um the black jewish shark um <laughs> so uh, because robot shark yeah, yeah, because um uh, indigo prophecy i enjoyed completely and utterly unironically even though it, the story really kind of didn't have anything to say about anything. Um, just looking back, I really liked how crazy it was. And then uh, Heavy Rain, I think I also liked, but I could kind of see some of the seams um, and, and some some of the issues with where, how the choices didn't always pan out properly like they should and, and things like that. Um, but also a technical masterpiece uh, mm-hmm. of its day. And then I never play Beyond Two Souls. I intend to do that. But I've heard that maybe doesn't um, approach some of the subject matter all that uh, properly. Uh, and then you know, this is just kind of the latest in a long line where it gets more and more in that direction as he tries to tackle bigger and bigger issues uh, without the capability of doing so. Um, but yeah, so it's it's five on my list because it looks really damn good. It plays well. Um, a lot of the choices uh, force you into tough situations. Um, I really like the breakdown at the end of each sequence where you see how many people chose what. And then you also okay. see like, oh, it, it looks like right around here there's something else I could do. And you could potentially go back and try every other permutation. Um, that All those systems are really smart. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really great game if you have it in you to enjoy it ironically. I'm sure there are plenty of people who can't do that because of the way the subject matter is handled in their own personal experiences. Um, but for me, uh, that that's kind of where it landed. Um, right above that. Number four is fallout 76. Mm -hmm. Um, I very much like fallout 76. I don't think it is as good as fallout four, which I Mm -hmm. really, really love. It just doesn't play as well. There isn't as much to do. Um, 
and it it doesn't it's not balanced as well. Fallout 4 is pretty well balanced. I think some of the economy stuff not so great. Um but this especially the economy is truly fucked. Yeah. Uh, in, in like some really bad ways. So uh but I still like I it's it's more of that. It scratches the itch for me. Um, I just wish it handled a little better. I think the camp system is really smart. Um, since I have figured out how to use the blueprint, it's really easy to move <laughs> my stuff around. Um, I like the progression. I just wish it was balanced a little better. But I, I enjoy the progression because there's more of it in this game than there was in Fallout 4. So it feels True. like there's more of uh, there are more steps. Um, the along card the way. system is interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't think love that's it, but it's, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, it, it's like. Um, you know, they're, they're trying stuff, and yeah, I'm enjoying being a part of their guinea pig process for all these systems that they probably had ideas for in the past, but couldn't find a way to implement them properly. They're just kind yeah, of throwing it all at the wall here, um, and some of it comes together, some of it doesn't, um, but I think it makes kind of a beautiful mess that I really enjoy being <laughs> a part of, and all of my social interactions with people so far have all been positive. I have not had a negative social interaction with anybody yet. Um I've had someone shoot me, but then when I didn't shoot them back, they left. Okay. So that system works. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did, like, almost no damage to me. They saw that I wasn't game, and they left. Boom. Done. Um, so that stuff, uh, there that was a very smart system. I think it could still use some tweaking, but uh, like everything else in the game, um, I'm excited to see where it goes in 2019. I'm excited to see yeah. where they take it, if they can move past all of this negative press, if they can find a way to kind of leave it behind. Um, and, and recover from that. So that's my number four. Um, number three is Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, for every reason besides how it plays. Um, <laughs> if this game controlled well and moved well, it would probably be my number one. Mm-hmm. Um, because the character work, the writing, and the story are second to none this year. Um just some truly masterful work. Uh, I cried at the end of the game. Well, mm. the end before the epilogue. Um, and then that was kind of my other big sticking point. Was It was the controls and then also how the ending was handled. How it launches directly into the epilogue after the ending of the main campaign. That really bothered me and continues to bother me. Like how that made it past the playtesting phase, I don't fucking know. But like... That ending, you need time to breathe, and the game just goes, boom, epilogue. And you're like, the fuck? No. Yeah. It should have been a separate launch from the main menu. It should have, Credits should have rolled, and then a pop-up at the main menu that said, you can now launch the epilogue from the main menu, like when you are ready. But what the game told me was... Well, and I, honestly, it's... Uh, it's consistent with the rest of the game design. It's not interested in what pace you would like to play the game in. Sure. It's what pace it is dictating for you. Um, and I think that definitely keeps it from the top two slots because, um, I mean, like it is, this game is an achievement in so many ways and on so many levels, but it, uh, I think fails in some pretty important areas. Um, not so much that, I regret spending time with it because I certainly don't. Uh, I think that story is one of my favorite Western stories I've ever watched or read or or I guess technically played. Um, Yeah, Red Dead Redemption 2, it's a very good game. You just have to know what you're getting into because there are a lot of options. 
Um, and I don't think all the systems really integrate that well with each other. And I think there's some balance issues as well with the economy. Um, but from a storytelling standpoint, I think it was the best this year. Um, my number two is uh, Mutant Year Zero Road to Eden on PC. I guess I should say I played Reddit on PS4 because it's all it's out for. Um, Mutant Year Zero Road to Eden on PC is my number two. Uh, when I initially saw the trailer for this game, I thought it was, like when it was announced, I thought it was like a Beyond Good and Evil um, yeah. spiritual successor because so like the talking animals, especially the pig. Right. Um, and then and that made me interested in it. Right. And I was like, oh, <laughs> in- okay, cool. This is interesting. Like kind of a, an apocalyptic uh beyond good and evil that sounds kind of fascinating um like with guns and stuff mm-hmm. kind of more gritty um and then i saw a trailer and it played like XCOM, and i was like nah never mind then yeah that's when i was not interested in it right <laughs> um and then it finally released and i i watched i went ahead and watched some coverage of it like on giant bomb and some other sites like youtube and stuff and um i decided to give it a try and I tried it because my issue with XCOM is that there's very little... It feels like the player agency is artificial. Like, it feels like there's very much a right and wrong way to play that game. Um, and a right and wrong way to handle every encounter and every battle. And in, in Mutant Year Zero, it seemed like there was a lot more player agency. Like, you move around the world freely until you get into combat. And then it kind of snaps into a grid. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the ability to like sneak around and like pick off enemies on like the fringe of groups so that when you go and fight the group proper, there are less enemies involved. Um, and it, just, it felt like there was more choice, um, and more, uh, RPG elements. I, I think that is probably semi true. I, I think the RPG elements are similar to what options are laid out for you in XCOM of what I know of XCOM. Like you have equipment, you have technically levels, but it's more like about skill trees um, mm. and stuff, which this game is very much uh, about that stuff as well. Um, but I, for me, it's more about how you interact with the world because XCOM, you go on a mission and you're back in that base and you build your base. This doesn't have that. You're just your party. It's like a core group and you're going around, um, uh, kind of choosing where you want to go, uh, in, in real time, um, and, and engaging with groups of and like you have your time to really, um, approach each combat scenario uh, the way you want and really feel prepared uh, beforehand. Because you could come across a group and like I'm not ready yet. I need stuff to like upgrade my guns, and you can like try and sneak through an area picking up all the scrap and like gun parts and then leave without ever fighting anyone, go upgrade, come back and fight them. Like okay. that's a feasible thing to do. I did that in a couple yeah. areas. Um, and so like that, just that little extra bit of player agency, I think made a big difference for me. Um, and it, I, I think it's also a little easier than XCOM is. I'm playing it on the easiest difficulty, which is just normal. Um, but there's definitely situations where I feel like if, if I were to have done those stupid things in XCOM, all of my people would be dead. <laughs> yeah. um, and I don't know if this has permadeath in it or not. I've not had a character die yet. I had them go down, and I, re- and I revived them before like the counter went down, but I've never had someone like die-die. I don't know mm-hmm. what happens. Um, but yeah, I just had a really, really great time with it. It makes me feel smart 
when I'm able to pull an enemy away and stack my silent weapon shots just right to where it just barely kills them before they can mm-hmm. like call in reinforcements. Um, it's a good time. Uh, I, th- I think it's a little rough around the edges, but uh, I think it's definitely worth uh, people's time uh, despite that. Um, and then my number one game is Return of the Obra Din on PC. This game really, really surprised me. So my friend and I saw kind of a, a teaser trailer for it years ago. Um, and he and I were both like, that's like really, really fast. Because they released a demo for it on like Itch.io or something forever ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and my friend and I were like, this is really, really fascinating. Like deducing the fates of the crew and, and all this like this what crazy systems like this book that you're checking people off on and stuff and then like just the look of it the graphical style was very unique i had never seen a game that looked like that before um and so it always kind of stuck with me but i can never remember the name of it so i couldn't like look it up but i was always like yeah that game that looks that way with the ship and the crew and like figuring the fates out when is that coming out i would like try and look it up but i could never figure it out and then uh steam on the steam store page, the main page, it had advertised it when it came out. Uh, We're like, Oh, we got to play this. So it's not a cooperative game by design, but my buddy and I played it that way. Um, and I think that had a really big impact on where it's placed in this list and my level of enjoyment with it. Because sometimes when I was struggling in a part, he would pick up on a thing that I didn't, or I would pick up on a thing that he wasn't. And it really helped us keep momentum, uh, when solving, um, uh, people's deaths. And, it has just uh, a tremendous soundtrack, um, like little sounds for all these all these things. Like when you fully or, or when you correctly assign deaths and causes, um, or or fates and causes of death to three people, uh, when they are all correct, it like locks them in. But mm-hmm. uh, it'll only do it if you have three correct. So it'll right. lock them in, and it does like this little song, this little ditty. <laughs> that we just love to hear because it, it makes you feel smart. Yeah, it makes you feel oh, smart. Oh, we got it right. It's like a Pavlov response. Like every time yeah. that things were like, yeah, we got it. And so we had this little like dance thing that we would do every time it, every time uh, those beats would play. Um, and it's just like little things like that. And then the the idea that each death scene is a panorama that you can walk around, and just like the foley work and the voice work is tremendous just what this game is just the whole package it's the whole package um and i have the only flaw i could find with it and i don't know how you get around it but um is that you can't launch into panoramas you've already seen uh from the book you have to actually go to where they died and and relaunch it to watch it again um but part of it is because they want you to walk around and learn the ship because yeah. it helps yeah. when determining fates and stuff. Like, the more you see the ship, the better idea you have of, like, oh, this room is actually here in this memory because each panorama only has so much of a radius and then everything outside of it is black. So okay. it's, like, it really hel- it helps you figure out where events are taking place the more you walk around the ship. Um, it was just by the very end when we were, like, it was, like, a couple Having fates to do left. It a lot. We had to do it a lot for each fate, yeah. uh, so it got to be a bit much. But uh, I think it wraps up in a really smart way, and there were a lot of twists and turns in the story that we were not expecting at all. Um, like, it went some places. Um, yeah, it was paced really well. Uh, just everything about it 
extremely impressed uh, and, and happy that I spent my time with it and happy that I beat it. Like that I managed, like my friend and I managed to do that because it was not easy always. Sometimes mm-hmm. it was pretty tough. So, um, so yeah, Obra Din game of the year. Nice. So yeah, that that's uh, Kyle's top ten. Yeah, I will have mine eventually. <laughs> uh, but check out chaseeverything.com if you want to uh, read the entire write up that he does for each of the games. Yeah, and there's also a list of the games that I played in 2018. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On the first page of it. So if you're like, well, why didn't he put this on there? It's probably because I didn't play it. Um, or you did or play I, it and you are wrong and didn't like it. God of like War. God of War. <laughs> <laughs> I I reinstalled it now that I have a two terabyte drive and I am uh-huh. uh, going to finish it at some point. Okay. I just uh, think it is a bad game. In lieu of my top ten, I did go through and update my top 100 games of all time list. Ah. With a lot of the big 2018 games. So I added God of War and Spider-Man to that list. I actually, I also added Assassin's Creed Origins, which I had not played enough of when I made it um, last year. So you can check that out. That'll at least show, like, that's way more than 10 games, right? That's It's better. So read that. Uh, before we wrap up, do a quick hate of the week. This was actually going to be a bigger one, but I'm going to truncate it because I want it to be frivolous because I don't actually want to get angry about anything right now because I'm not in the mood because I'm hungry. So I don't want to get angry and hungry, hangry. I don't want to do that. So this hate of the week is stupid people that don't get jokes, (laughs) basically, (laughs) on the internet. So I know last episode I went in a whole thing of how I was not looking at comments anymore. I'm still trying to do that. Sometimes I fail. And especially like if I see something and I want to say something witty, obviously I have to open the comments and make and leave a comment. So IGN recently put out a review for an episode of the Titans show on the DC Universe streaming platform. And the episode of the name of the episode was Coriander, K-O-R-I-A-N-D apostrophe R, which is the character Starfire's real name. This joke isn't really going to play because I have to say it and you're not reading it. It's a lot funnier and wittier when you just see it, but that's okay. The purpose of this isn't to make everybody listening laugh. It's to explain why someone didn't get this and it's annoying. So the name of the episode was Coriander, K-O-R-I-A-N-D apostrophe R. My comment that I left was, it's spelled Coriander, C-O-R-I-A-N-D-E-R, which is a spice, Coriander. Just a funny little joke. Oh, you spelled the name of it wrong. It's dumb. This is just a cute little thing to say. So, you know, I get people like the comment or leave like the ha-ha laugh response, whatever. And then someone replies and says, no, it isn't. See, now that's that was, funny. That was that was what they had to say about that joke. Yep. Was that they don't get it. And so I, of course, being an educator, I'm not, I don't know why I said that. I'm not an educator. (laughs) I want to educate people when they're being idiots. Replied and said, coriander, C-O-R-I-A-N-D-E-R is a spice. It was a joke. And then they didn't reply. So I was just like. They got it now. (laughs) My thing is like, 
why even reply to my comment? Like, what is the context where they feel like that was necessary? But see, maybe they also like to educate people. So they thought they were educating you on like, no, this is actually like this character's name. Oh, man. Maybe you're just like the same, Shay. That that would be real. Well, yeah, the difference is they're wrong. <laughs> they are trying to educate someone to their wrong perspective. <laughs> It was just dumb. Yeah. You know, it was just one of those, like, eye roll. I was just like, for real? <laughs> like, come on. In fact, someone else commented. So I put, it's spelled coriander with the spelling of the spice. But I had coriander in quotations. So it was quotation, C-O-R-I-A-N-D-E-R, period, close quote. Someone else replied and said, the period goes outside of the quote. <laughs> which it doesn't it doesn't you're wrong again the period goes inside of the quote like why are people so stupid and why are they determined to correct someone to their stupidity i just like <laughs> there are so many things wrong with that not even just the fact that that person is wrong which is the core thing that's wrong about it but also they are wrong in that why leave that comment I just made a little joke. Like, even if you think it's dumb and not funny, that's fine. Keep scrolling. Why even reply to that? It, I don't I don't understand. Our voices must be heard. <laughs> yeah, dude. So, if you take anything away from this podcast, it's that the period goes inside the, quote, the quotation. Periods and exclamation marks, semicolons, commas, inside the quote. Question mark goes inside the quote if the question is part of what is inside the quote so like if you say is it spelled quotation coriander question mark that goes outside of the quote i'm not gonna i'm too lazy i'm not gonna think of an example where it goes inside but that's the only exception all other punctuation inside the quote I mean, it, i'm it would, literally it would be inside if it's writer. like dialogue yes sure so it, it's yes. like like um, she asked, comma space quotation. Right. Is it spelled where are coriander? you going? Question mark <laughs> right. end quotation. Correct. And then do you put yes. a period after it? I no. think you do. You don't. You don't double punctuate. Okay. There may be certain styles that are exceptions to this. I'm speaking on AP style because that's what I write in. Okay. But like. Just don't, don't, advanced don't leave that person comment. style. Yeah, advanced person style. No, it's associated <laughs> press. Associated press style. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I didn't even reply to that guy. Right. <laughs> it's like, I'm not even getting into this. <laughs> so that was dumb. Uh, all right. You should have done a, 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 can you Google this for me? Or I Googled <laughs> that for you thing on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> People are so stupid. They're That's the most so passive-aggressive thing to do. <laughs> uh, okay, so no emails, but I did get one correction that I want to mention. So after last episode, a buddy of mine texted me when we were talking about the Walking Dead comic and the story of it. I'm like, hey, they're they're gonna the zombies are slowly dying off. I had said, oh, like in forty days later. 
What I meant was, like, in 28 days later, the movie. Okay, yes. I don't know where I came up with 40 days. It's not Noah's Ark. But a buddy of mine texted me. He was like, I think you meant 28 days later. So I wanted to clarify that, yes, in fact, I did mean 28 days later. But aren't there two films? Isn't there one that's 28 days later and then another and that, one that is, is like 28 weeks 28 later. weeks later. 28 weeks later was a mass market sequel starring none of the same people and none of the same creative team. And it was a generic ass generic zombie movie. 28 days later is amazing. So not 196 days later, 28 weeks later. That is correct. The period goes inside the quote. (laughs) All right. So let's wrap this baby up with something that we don't hate. And I will say I don't hate all the adorable baby clothes that we got for Christmas. I can't handle it. I feel like I'm going to collapse into a bunch of pieces when my daughter is born. I am not an emotional person. That's, I mean, I am. I'm not like an expressively emotional person or like I'm not like a big cry on my shoulder person, but I can't even handle this crap anymore, dude. She's just going to be so damn cute with all these cute little clothes. And it's going to be stressful. Mm-hmm. But at least she'll be cute. That makes it so much easier. I feel like that's why, that's why, I mean, wherever you think. Right. That's the importance of dressing your children in cute clothes is because most of the time you just want to murder them. (laughs) However you think we got here, if it's evolution or God or whatever, I'm going to say God because that's my experience. But I feel like that's why God made babies cute and like puppies and like baby animals cute is because otherwise we would hate them. (laughs) <laughs> and that's what stops us from hating them is the fact that they are cute. <laughs> Good one. You're the worst. <laughs> Mary hate miss. <laughs> Mary hates miss. And happy hate year. <laughs> happy new hate. <laughs> happy new hate. Oh yeah. All right. What's your new hate resolution for 2019? Uh, so is this something that I am going to hate? Correct. You're committing to hating it for 2019. (laughs) That's a good one. Um, tell, tell me about what you don't hate and then I'll come back because I got to think for a second. Okay. Well, what I don't hate is how happy my dog is for me to be home all the time on break. He doesn't leave the room when he's with me now. Cause usually like I would come home from work and like, I'd be on my computer, like watching videos. He doesn't like all the noise. So he goes in the other room. But he's just been by my side the whole time. Cute. Yeah. He's a fluffy boy. (laughs) Yeah, our dog was very excited to see us as well. And then when we got home and he remembered, oh, right, I'm no longer allowed on the couch or the bed. I have to stay on my bed. And then he was not as excited anymore. (laughs) Poor guy. I still, it still breaks my heart. It's been like weeks at this point where we tell him to get down every time he jumps on the, the bed in the morning. It still breaks my heart every single time. It's the way he looks at you. He's like, I just want to be loved. <laughs> so my hate resolution for 2019, I am committed to hating that people use social media as a means to bitch about meaningless personal bullshit. So I see things on Twitter all the time of like, just feeling depressed today. I don't care. 
cool. Why are you tweeting about it? Maybe deal with it in a healthy way instead of shouting it into a vacuum. Yeah. And, like, complaining about random stuff, that's totally fine. No issues with that. But it's that, like, attention-seeking complaining. Yeah. That I I have always hated, and I'm going to double the hell down on that in 2019. (laughs) That's my hating resolution. So, look forward to that. (laughs) Mm. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of the Shay Hates Everything podcast. I feel like it's uh, truer now more than ever. (laughs) As time Uh, goes on. Just grouchy old men. (laughs) Uh, Big thanks to everybody for listening. 2018 was a a good year for the podcast. We we grew. So we say. What? The listeners may not feel that way, but we think it was a pretty good year. Well, I think we have decided that we don't really care what the listeners have to say about anything. <laughs> Fuck you guys! <laughs> if you if you learn anything by listening or not listening to the podcast, it's we don't care about anything. That's not true. We love every each and every one of our listeners, especially the ones that write us emails oh. at info at shayhateseverything.com or tweets at me at shay underscore castle. Or leaves us a comment or a message on our Facebook page, slash Shay Hates Everything. So do that, and we'll like you even more than we already don't. 2019 is going to be a good year. I'm going to be a dad. I'm starting a new job. And, like, lots of, like, video games and stuff come out. It's really the holy trinity right there. Yeah. Video games, (laughs) job, and kid. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Try and balance all three of those right. things. <laughs> Two of them will cause me to not be able to enjoy the third. <laughs> Guess which one is the third. <laughs> so that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And, Kyle, as always, thank you for joining me for every episode in 2018. Every one of every them. every episode and all the other ones. All of them. Yeah. yeah, you've been on every single episode of the Shades Everything podcast. That's pretty impressive. And sad. We're closing in on 50 episodes. We'll have to do something. I know. Yeah, we have to do something crazy. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys in 2019. Peace out.